is Free Talk Live, the live Saturday edition. You can take control of the airwaves toll-free, 800-259-9231, and bring up whatever's on your mind. That's the Packet 8 toll-free line for you, 1-800-259-9231. It is Ian here with you. And Mark. And you can join us on our website, freetalklive.com. All of the features, hey, board up, you got some audio running there in the background. All of the features at freetalklive.com are completely free, so be sure you enjoy them. Those other radio talk show hosts want to charge you five, six, seven bucks a month. Uh, <laughs> in order to get uh, access to their features, we give them all away. Again, that is freetalklive.com, and that's freetalklive.com. All right, so getting started here with some stories about some cases where there might have been a bit of an overreaction. Eh, just a little bit of an overreaction. Like, for instance, a guy that was sentenced to 55 years for selling marijuana. You know, like, you know, that kind of case. Seems like a lot. Former U.S. attorneys, according to the Salt Lake Tribune, have asked the U.S. Supreme Court to hear the appeal of a Utah man sentenced to serve 55 years in prison for selling pot, a sentence decried by a judge who said the law forced his hand. The 10th U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals in Denver in January rejected an argument that the sentence handed down to record producer Weldon Angelos was cruel and unusual punishment that was disproportionate to his crime. So they considered this absolutely uh, usual and typical and uncruel. But a friend of the court brief filed with the U.S. Supreme Court Friday by about 145 people, including former U.S. Attorneys General, uh, some federal judges, former high-ranking U.S. Department of Justice officials, urges the high court to take the case. Angelos, 26, the founder of Extravagant Records, was accused of selling eight ounces of marijuana to a police informant three times in May and June of 2002. At one sale, he had a gun strapped to his ankle, according to court records. At the other drug buys, there were firearms in the vicinity. A federal grand jury originally indicted him in November of 2002 on one gun possession count, three counts of marijuana distribution, and two lesser charges. After he rejected the plea bargain that would have sent him to prison for 16 years, authorities then obtained a new indictment with 20 charges. So they went out after he said, no, no, I'm going to go ahead and fight this. Yeah, he wanted to take it to trial like it's his right by the Constitution. As a matter of fact, the Constitution doesn't say anything about plea bargaining. I'd say plea bargaining hurts the American judicial system, the American people. Why do you say that? Well, because um, people that are actually committing crimes out there, um, the ones that are uh, guilty, they're you know they're not going to trial. They're they're crime. They're uh, pleading out and getting lighter sentences. Right. I mean, if somebody does it, don't you want them to get the longest sentence possible? Don't you want them so. to be tried in front of a jury of their peers? Yeah, especially if they're committing murder or something like that. Sure. Right. But in this case, there was no murder. The gun wasn't used. It was just there at the scene of the crime, and that apparently makes selling marijuana a much more uh, punishable offense for some reason. I'm not sure why that is. It's just some. It's just another way for them to punish uh, drug dealers, basically. Yeah, I mean, um, it it seems strange to me. But if you, you know, the armed drug dealing charge, it, I don't know. I mean, drug dealing's a crime. I don't think it should be, but it is. And but. It's to carry a gun is your Second Amendment right. It should be. Uh, it's not in in most states. Well, they're not saying you can't carry a gun. Just that if you get caught with a gun and marijuana, then you're going to jail for 55 years. But I don't think it should have anything to do with it. No, I agree with you. When Angela's asked to reopen negotiations, prosecutors said too late. In December 2001, a jury convicted him of 16 of the 20 counts. The U.S. District Judge reluctantly sentenced Angelos to a mandatory 55 years in prison. Five years for the first gun possession conviction and 25 years each for the next two to be served one after the other. For 13 drug and money laundering counts, the judge imposed one additional day behind bars. 
Cassell said the prison term was, quote, unjust and cruel and even irrational. So the judge himself saying that this is unjust and cruel, but yet he's also saying, I'm sorry, I have to do this because I'm a victim of these mandatory uh, sentencing laws, and as a judge, I no longer have the ability to mete out uh, punishments according to what I feel is correct. Right. The legislators have tied the hands of judges in a lot of cases, and, and they have to um, come up with they – ha- they have to do what the legislators say. Right. That, why, don't, why don't we just replace judges with a, a robot instead? I mean, if – if they're not really doing anything that requires human emotions or human rationale or anything like that anymore, let's just put robot judges. Let's put a little black robe on a robot thing with some glowing red eyes up in the front of the... I mean, really, how would that be any different? They have to follow a set uh, specified uh, guidelines. There's mandatory minimum sentencing, and they can't go lower than that. I think robo-judge would do just a fine job in comparison. So did defense attorneys who appealed and gained the support of many in the legal field who said the uh, the sentence was excessive. However, the U.S. Attorney's Office stuck to its contention that Angelos is the kind of offender Congress had in mind when it enacted tough penalties for criminals who carry a firearm while committing a felony. Oh, yeah, he's just the kind of offender Congress had in mind. Let's see, he's the founder of a records company. Clearly, extravagant records. Clearly, this man is a vicious, vicious, violent criminal. What? Uh, he was just selling a half a pound of pot, eight ounces of marijuana. That's all that was going on here. There's nothing violent about that trade. He just was probably had the gun there for uh, for insurance purposes. And he's he may not- very well carry a gun on a regular basis. I mean, it may be his practice to carry a gun. Many people do that. He may very well. But now you got now he's got 55 years in prison, and hopefully the case will go to the Supreme Court. Maybe it'll go in his favor, but I wouldn't count on it. Now, he's not the only story with uh, an excessive uh, penalty or excessive potential penalty. According to, let's see, the AFP, a couple's ill-concealed sexual play aboard a Southwest Airlines flight from Los Angeles got them charged with violating the Patriot Act. What? Intended for terrorist acts and could land them in jail for 20 years. According to their indictment, Carl Persing and Don Sewell were allegedly snuggling and kissing inappropriately and, quote, making other passengers uncomfortable when a flight attendant asked them to stop. Now, Mr. Persing was observed nuzzling or kissing Sewell on the neck and with his face pressed against Sewell's vaginal area. During these actions, Sewell was observed smiling, reads the indictment by the Federal Bureau of Investigation. On a second warning from the flight attendant, Persing snapped back, threatening that the flight att- uh, threatening the fl- uh, flight attendant with serious consequences if he didn't leave them alone. That comment was enough to have the couple, both in their early 40s, arrested when the plane reached its destination in Raleigh and charged with obstructing a flight attendant and with criminal association. What is criminal association? I don't know. You'll have to look it up. It sounds bad, though, doesn't it? Now, it doesn't seem like these were the the most tactful of individuals. No, I got to say that that's about the dumbest thing I've heard anybody do um, this week. They were probably downright rude uh, from the way it sounds, but of course their side of the story, Persing's lawyer... Uh, says his client was not feeling well when he placed his head upon his companion's lap and that he only threatened the flight attendant with reporting him to his superiors upon landing. So, again, both two sides of this story here, but either way, as rude as they may have been, and let's presume they were very, very rude and not concerned with what the other passengers thought, didn't want to listen to the flight attendant's suggestions, in which case, do we really need to bring the Patriot Act into this? Well, Is this a, a terrorist event? 
when when you threaten things like serious consequences, uh-huh. you're basically making a physical threat against someone. I don't know about that. I don't think so. Serious consequences could mean I'm going to your uh, superiors and telling on you. It sound, it's When you leave it open-ended like that, people think the worst, and that's human nature. It's uh-huh. common. If I say, I'm threatening you with serious consequences, Ian, if you disagree with me one more time. Depends. That could mean you're going to get up and walk out of the room. I mean, I don't know what that means. Yeah, I think you're uh, – no, I – I would have said they made oh, a what very that? they what made a very mean, stupid sir? stupid mistake. I understand, but that does does it deserve 20 years in jail? I don't think it deserves 20 does years. Does it deserve a terrorism charge? I mean, terroristic nuzzling? Um well there were it's not the nuzzling that they're going to jail for. Well, that's it's what an started open-ended it all. threat. Serious consequences. It, when you if you heard somebody say serious consequences and you were on an airplane, what would you do? What would you think that would mean? Now, if I were the flight attendant, I think I would say, "Oh, what do you mean by that, sir?" And then he can say, well, I've got a bomb in my bag, well, the, or I've got a gun, the or flight I'm going to go and tell on you. The flight attendant isn't a cop. It's not his job to uh, figure out what the danger is. Mm-hmm. Um, it's his job to uh, report people that appear to be a danger to the plane. Now, I think that they should, uh, in charging these people... He didn't threaten the plane. He no. threatened the flight attendant. Uh, you know, how are you going to... What's going to happen here? What's going to happen? Serious consequences. Right. That's a stupid, stupid threat. They Assuming been, he made it. Uh, they have been placed under legal surveillance until their trial on February 5th. If found guilty, they could be sent to jail for up to 20 years each. 1-800-259-9231. Do you think that's a bit of an overreaction? I mean, I can't imagine that anybody uh, would disagree with us that the 55 years for selling marijuana is an overreaction. I can't imagine anyone would think that. But in the case of the, the plane, I'm sure there's some people with some differing opinions out there. 800 259 you take control of the airwaves. Coming up, Condo Association Nazis. Free Talk Live. This is Free Talk Live, and it's the Saturday edition. We're here live. Ian here with you. And Mark. Toll free number for you, 800-259-9231. That's 1-800-259-9231. And it is the Packet8.net toll-free line. And you can join us on our website at freetalklive.com. We've got archives. So if you missed a moment of the show... Uh, over the past six days, because we do it six days a week, Monday through Saturday. If you've missed a little bit, you want to go and grab it up at the front page of the site at freetalklive.com. In fact, if you've missed a lot, you can go all the way back as far as a year. That's right. We give away an entire year's worth of shows free at freetalklive.com. And register now for the New Hampshire Liberty Forum. Come and hear a speech by John Stossel entitled Enemies of Liberty. The three-day event is starting on February 23rd. Early bird discount ends on Thanksgiving, so register now at freestateproject.org slash libertyforum. That's freestateproject.org slash libertyforum as we go to, well, maybe your local neighborhood. What's happening, Mark? Well, there's, it looks like condo associations could just go ahead and do whatever the heck they want these days. Um a couple smoking at uh, home has been snuffed. Golden, Colorado. A golden couple can't smoke in the townhouse that they own after a judge ruled last week that their condominium association <laughs> can prohibit smoking in their four-unit building. This is my home, and I worked for it, says Colleen Suaves. Um Wednesday. I can't relax and have a cigarette in my own home. If I do, I get fined. Suave and her husband, Richard, who are both smokers, filed suit in March after the Heritage Hills Number 1 Condominium Owners Association amended its bylaws. Now, mm-hmm. get this. They bought the place, and then they amended their bylaws um, to ban smoking. Right. A judge recently ruled against them. The association was responding to complaints from Suave's next-door neighbor, Penny Boyd, about smoke odors seeping into her unit, Ooh. despite caulking and filters. 
insulation, painting, and ventilation adjustments, the smoke smell continued to bother Boyd, according to court documents. Wow, it sounds like they went through quite a few uh, steps there. Yeah, it, looks, it sounds like they were trying to, to help Mrs. Boyd out, but uh, apparently not. We argued that the uh, Homeowners Association was not um, being responsible in restricting smoking in their own unit. Um, nowhere on the premises, not in the parking lot or on the patio, said uh, Colleen um, Suave said. Um, others, owners of the other three units who approved the ban were recognizing the dangers of secondhand smoke and its obnoxious odor and were making their community safer for everybody, said their attorney, Brian Martin. Now, we've we've gone over this secondhand smoke issue and the whole EPA's lying about it. Mm-hmm. Basically, they they had a uh, something that came out in the 80s. It was a report that came out in the 80s where they took essentially every case of lung cancer in the United States, attributed it to secondhand that wasn't um, that wasn't directly attributable to, to, to cigarette smoking. Sec- cigarette smoking. Right, and they attributed it to secondhand cigarette smoking mm-hmm. because people come in; those people all came in contact at one point or another with somebody. Smoking a cigarette, likely yes. So they just decided that that's the way it was. Now the EPA, it, no shortage of messed up um, uh, reports that they've put out. Well, you they're know, really, a government bureaucracy. Really awful stuff. And for some reason, this one stuck. Well, people the reason. This. Well, the reason is because they're the EPA, and people worship government agencies. They believe that if it's uh, the government, then it must be true. And if it's the EPA, then they must be concerned about the environment and safety. And so, therefore, why would they lie to people? Now, why would they be less than intellectually honest? Well, why would people just so, um, you know, just just swallow this hook, line, and sinker? Now, let's look for a Solvable. second at uh, Camel Cigarettes, Lucky Strikes, Paul Malls. Yeah. All of these cigarettes are unfiltered. Okay. Completely unfiltered. That's unfiltered smoke going into the lung directly of the person smoking. They're going to live 65, 70 years old, and they're going to die early, um, earlier than they would have from mm-hmm. smoking. Are you telling me that um, just... Smelling or breathing in a little bit of smoke that didn't go through a filter. Somehow this magical cotton filter is going to make it uh, all better. Um, that that little bit of smoke is somehow going to end your life one or two days early? I can't seems imagine un- it. seems unbelievable to me. I, I mean, can't imagine. Unless you had a really, really bad um, degenerative lung condition already. Well, now, I mean, wasn't it George Burns that lived to 100 years old smoking so, smoking cigars for cigars his Cigars are a life? little different. Um, cigars, probably Mr. Burns did not inhale his cigars. Yeah, but did he get mouth, can- uh, mouth cancer? He did not, and many people... Many, many people um, right. there are a lot smoke of, and die from different stuff. Right. There are a lot of examples of first-hand smokers who smoke their entire lives and don't die. I'm not recommending you do that. I, I agree. It's probably detrimental to you. But if you've got first-hand smokers that aren't getting lung cancer, the idea that there are so many people dying from second-hand smoke seems to me to be absolutely ludicrous. And as has been pointed out, Penn & Teller's BS, great uh, great television show, they did a wonderful job addressing this issue, the second-hand smoke claims, because that's really all they are, it's just claims that people die as a result of it. And either way, I mean, let's go back to the situation in this condo association. You've got a woman who lives in a different unit. There's a wall between them. There's, you know, there's, there was caulking going on, filtering going on. I mean, with all of that, she was just bothered by the fact that she might have detected a hint of odor of smoke in the air, and she's apparently a completely intolerant woman. I would use a different word if we weren't on the radio. But she's a totally in, uh, intolerant woman who um, just, I guess she's got some friends on the condo association. She went to them, and uh, they passed a new regulation. And now these people can't smoke in their, own, in their own condo. I mean, are they allowed to smoke on the back porch? No, nowhere. 
They're not allowed to smoke anywhere. Is it just them or everyone in the entire condo association? I believe that um, I believe it's just them, but um, because they live in a four-unit um, complex, mm-hmm. the other three units said, "Yes, we we think it's a bother." So, oh, so that's it. There wasn't more. There's in a larger complex. This is an awfully small association. Well, um, th- this is the building. Um, there may be there may very well be different units, and and so they at this the- point, um, with this ruling. Homeowners associations can do whatever they want now. They have been able to pretty much do whatever they want. Well, right. what's sticky about this is they moved in, they bought the place, right. and there wasn't a rule against smoking. Now, yeah, but was, it, was there an open uh, ability for them to create new rules? Yes. Yes. But and if there's an open ability for them to create new rules, that means if you offend the people on the homeowners association, they're going to make rules against you to make your life a living hell. I don't think that people reasonably um, would expect that to happen, would, would expect this to happen. Well, it's obvious they don't have much experience in condo associations. Uh, the parents of my uh, former girlfriend moved into a deed-restricted area with one of these associations. They got a dog. And apparently dogs above a certain poundage requirement are not allowed. Now, this dog was a puppy at the time that they bought it, but odds are good that over time it was going to exceed the pound restriction, you know, that particular restriction. Sure. And they, they tried to get an exemption. You know, they tried to uh, to go through the process, and these people are just so intolerant. These neighborhood Nazis that are in charge of these condo and neighborhood associations, they they can't imagine bending their rules uh, to allow some people to have a, an animal I with think them in, in their in old your, age. I think in your cir- circumstance, they probably had the rule in the beginning. They did, but I'm pointing out that if the, even if they didn't have the rule, this has been this has been known to happen. If you tick sure off the people on the condo association and they don't like your dog in particular, or they don't like the color of your house, they may just change the rules on you in order to to make you so angry, either to make you comply and comply and continue to jump through the hoops that they put up so you can keep staying in their wonderful neighborhood, or to make you angry enough to where you'll sell your house and leave, which is what they did. Well, and this is what, right now, in this kind of depressed housing market that we currently have going, I mean, things things aren't that great uh, for homeowners right now. No, exactly. And, um, these, I don't know how long these people have been in their house, but they may very well not even be able to, it may cost them tens of thousands of dollars to move out. Yeah. It's just amazing, and the judge backed him up. I mean, this is yeah. a legal case now, and the judge said, "Yep, precedent. You can you can uh, bar smoking from anybody even after the fact, even after they've signed the agreement." Yeah, it's pretty sad. Now, I want to know from you if you have actually um, had any encounters with these neighborhood Nazis, with these condo associations that have just run amuck, uh, out of control with their power. Eight hundred two five nine ninety two thirty one is the packet a toll free line. That's one eight hundred two five nine ninety two thirty one. This is your show. It's Free Talk Live. Would you like to help others find Free Talk Live? You can help us advertise, market, and promote the show at amp.freetalklive.com. Consider becoming a Free Talk Live amplifier now for $3 a month and get some cool bonuses at amp.freetalklive.com. This is Free Talk Live. The toll-free number for you, 1-800-259-9231. That's the Packaday toll-free line, and you can bring up whatever's on your mind in the live Saturday edition. It's Ian here with you. And Mark. Once again, that number, 800-259-9231. What are some of the most absurd homeowners association condo association rules that you have ever come across uh that's what i'm curious about have you encountered a situation like the swabs in uh, denver i believe it's the denver area is that golden golden colorado they have had a judge rule that they can the the homeowners association can prevent the couple from smoking in their own home and this means that they now have to and you told me during the break they now have to smoke 
15 feet away from the entry uh, to the entrance to their house. Right. They can go out to the sidewalk. They can hop in the car and drive around the block, or they can go across the street to a friend's house. Wow. It almost sounds like they're teenagers being you know, banished uh, from their parents' purview, and they have to sort of sneak around so they can smoke their cigarettes uh, at, their, at their leisure. Look, it, this is Colorado. I mean, this isn't uh, South Florida. When it gets cold up there... It's going to be snowing out when they go to smoke their cigarettes. Mm. This is not. Uh, this is certainly a, a very unfair ruling, as you pointed out, Mark. It happened after the fact, after they had purchased this townhouse, which unfortunately for them is connected to another townhouse or two or three. Well, yeah, and uh, three. And it and it's making the other residents angry. The fact that they can detect the slightest hint of an odor of cigarette smoke coming from the next unit, so they went to the homeowners association, complained about it, and now they've got a judge backing up the ruling that says, "Sorry, you can no longer smoke in the home that you own." The judge says, um, "It you know smoke smell constitutes just the smell. It doesn't matter. It's irrelevant according to them." That um, you know, it might be dangerous. It's just the smell constitutes mm-hmm. a, nu- a nuisance under um, a nuisance con- under condo d- um, declarations. She noted no nuisance shall be allowed, which is a source of annoyance to residences. Well, there you go. You know what? This is what you get. I, I don't. I find myself having a tough time. While I can empathize with these people, I find myself having a tough time feeling really terrible for them. Look, you joined a condominium association. You should have known in advance. You were you were presented with the rules. You should have known in advance that this is a uh, an organization that its sole purpose is to control the property of people that uh, is within their purview of people in the so, uh, in the association. Meaning that you don't actually own all aspects of your property. If the association says it, it goes unless there's some sort of specific prohibition in the association rules that says. Anything, uh, you know, any new rules created uh, from here point on cannot violate any of the old set of rules. I mean, there could have been maybe something written in there, but then again, I would see that as unlikely because the condo associations attract power mongers, people that would love to be in government, for instance, but they're starting small uh, at their condo association, attract people that want to create more rules. And so why on earth would they ever put a provision in there that locks out any new rules? They could use the excuse of saying, well, we need to have the ability to create new rules in case new nuisances come up, in case new issues come up that arise, and we need to handle these things. So I can't imagine there would be a condo association with just a locked-down set of rules that will never change. If you join a condo association and then you're shocked when they change the rules because they don't like you for whatever reason, I, you know, that's what you get. You know, I've, I've got to say, though, um, a lot of people want to be in condos for reasons. Um, okay. They, they don't want to take care of their lawn. They, don't want, to take, they want the bushes taken care of, and they, yeah. they want them to look good. They want to um, not have to worry about things like roofs and, and stuff like that. Some people, like, for instance, if you live in New York City, how are you going to live anywhere that doesn't essentially have a condo association or some kind of Don't building? live in New York City. Well, yeah, I mean, and, and your little rules m- might be great for you, but um, they don't work for everybody. They don't work for yeah. the uh, 7 million well, people you, that live in New York. If you want to live in New York City, obviously you've got a compromise to make. You know, if you, want, <laughs> if you want property rights, don't live in New York City. You should know better than that. I mean, the, ru- the rules and regulations of the government in New York City are oppressive enough, let alone to have a condo association rules on, uh, a set of rules on top of that.
So if you're if you're concerned about the right to do as you please on your property, then you really should get a single family home located on its own piece of property somewhere and forget about living in a condo association. Well, I I think that's good advice in a lot of ways. Uh, a lot of condos are like these villas, and so they're essentially right. houses that are attached to each other and share a roof, but they're Correct. not they're not really. Um, uh, they're not these big buildings. Not a high rise. Yeah, a high rise would that makes some sense to me. I can kind of understand. But right. you, I figure in this townhouse, we're talking about two on top, two on the bottom, like yeah, a four unit townhouse. Could very well be. Right. I don't know. It makes sense though. That way, the, all the entrances could be on the same side. Um, but in in these sorts of circumstances, you could very easily pay a gardener. Um, or you know a lawn maintenance person for about what your homeowners association is. Oh yeah, and that you don't have to worry about all this communal roof stuff because believe right. me, if you've got to replace the roof on the um, on the unit, somebody's got to pay for that, mm-hmm. and it's going to come out of e- either um, out of the pooled money that's already there, um, pooled money that's going to be in the future, which means that everybody's going to have to pay now because the roofing guy is not going to wait for the future. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know they'll just raise the condo association fees. I've seen this happen in places where. Um, it's gone from sixty bucks to like two hundred and sixty bucks per year, per month, per month. Oh my gosh! Yeah, um, the cheapest condo. That's crazy. The cheapest condo uh, association fees I've ever seen are in the sixty seventy five dollar range, which two hundred dollars a month. Mo- oh my god, that's cheap in in Sarasota, Florida, where we're from. That's wow. cheap. Um, but you know, sixty dollars a month. Are you telling me you can't hire somebody to take care of your grass at sixty dollars a month? Even you could, in you sure as hell could for a hundred. Well, you you can for sixty. Yeah, believe me, you can. If you're just talking about cutting the grass, sure. And you know bushes, you certainly they'll toss that in at seventy five. And then you can hire somebody you like, or hire some kids from down the street. Nah, you know? that doesn't work that great. No, I've tried that very no, hard. But you could. It's possible there might be a kid with some responsibility that might be able to handle that job. Anyway, I'm just all for total property ownership and being able to set the rules on your own property. But if what you want is these little perks of the condo association, like the pool and the other things that you that you get, the weight room, then you pay the price. You pay the price in that you can be ruled by these neighborhood Nazis, for better, for lack of a better term. I mean, look, some of... I, I still want to hear from you at 800-259-9231, the Packaday toll-free line, 1-800-259-9231. If you've got examples of some of the most absurd condo association slash neighborhood association rules that you've ever encountered. Uh, I remember there was one, the um, the Meadows, I believe it is, uh, where we come from, Mark, where it's, you know, it's one of those gated communities. And actually, no, it's not gated. It's just big and rich. And you go in there, you cannot drive a truck in that neighborhood after a certain time of night. Trucks are too noisy? Pick, uh, pickup trucks? Pickup trucks. You can't drive anything that resembles a truck. You cannot park, if you have a truck, you cannot park it outside of your house yeah, after you a to, certain time of you night. You have to have it in the garage. Right. Uh, let's see. There's Sometimes, in some cases, there are restrictions on the height of the bushes in your front yard. Restrictions on... You know, you cannot allow them to grow a certain a certain height. Same with your grass, obviously. Well, uh, that th- that happened at my um uh, in in my homeowners association. It's not a homeowners association because the uh, the area was had outlived its homeowners association. Mm-hmm. It had a it had a sunset period, so the county had picked it up as a zoning area. I see. And um, one of the rules was you couldn't have um you know certain rules on trees, and somehow these uh, this uh, bush that a friend of mine had, they decided was a tree. You know, it was clearly a bush, and so, so he had to have it removed. <laughs> wow! Yeah. At his at his expense. Sure. Yeah. And so there's and he liked uh, it. 
There's regulations of all sorts about what can be in your front yard in some cases. In some, I mean, have you ever been into one of those neighborhoods where everybody's house looks exactly the same? Where you feel like you've uh, entered a, an episode of Pleasantville or something like that, and it's just, it's otherworldly almost how identical the properties are. The houses are the exact same model. They're the exact same color. They've got the exact same uh, two bushes out front, styled in the exact same way. Who wants to live in places like these? Do you live in one of these places, one of these planned communities where the plan is no differentiation between any properties? Really, why do you live there? 800-259-9231, the packet eight toll free line. I mean, it would seem to me that you'd have a tough time finding your house in some instances. If it if it looked exactly the same as everybody else's. Well, certainly other people might have some trouble finding your house. Certainly uh, color restrictions. They don't allow you to paint your house uh, in sp- specific shades. You have to get all, all sorts of construction approved by the Neighborhood Association. I mean, some of aren't like that. Some, I'm sure, are, very, are, are less restrictive than others. I'm sure you're right about that. I'm talking about the worst of the worst. And I'm sure I barely even scratched or uh, touched on it. So I want to hear from you, 800-259-9231. What's the worst restrictions you've ever encountered? This is Free Talk Live. It is your show, and you can take control of the airways. Bring up whatever's on your mind. Toll free, 800-259-9231. That's 1-800-259-9231. The Packet 8 toll-free line. It's Ian here with you. And Mark. And you can join us on our website at freetalklive.com. All of the features on the site are free. We ask, though, that you support the show on a voluntary basis considering that we give you everything for free by vo- uh, by voting for Free Talk Live. Go to vote.freetalklive.com. If you've yet to do it in the month of November, we need you to go and do it now because we're currently ranked at the number two podcast in the world. That's out of over 25,000 podcasts, and it's because of those of you who voted. Now go to vote.freetalklive.com, cast your vote to help us get to number one so we can finish the month at number one. We are within striking distance from the current number one show, and we can absolutely make this happen if you make it happen at vote.freetalklive.com. Great way to show your support for the show and doesn't cost you anything more than maybe a minute of your time. Vote.freetalklive.com. Talking about obscure and absurd and outrageous homeowners association rules and regulations, condo associations, neighborhood Nazis, condo Nazis. What are some of the most absurd rules you've ever come across? Let's go to Ray in Washington listening on KUSA. Hello, Ray. Hello. Hey, what's on your mind? Yeah, I was calling about, uh, I recently built a, a new home in a development here in Yakima, Washington. Uh, pretty upscale development. All of them are 300000 plus. And uh, I also run and own my own landscape company. And it was kind of like what you guys were saying. That they would only allow you two trees and three shrubs or, br- or uh, bushes in your front yard. And you had to go with the landscaper that they used. I mean, I own my own company. And they wouldn't even let me landscape my own yard. What? But uh, they also had covenants that you could not have a satellite dish on your roof. Mm-hmm. That uh, if you had a boat or an RV, that it could not be parked outside. And, I mean, I don't know. You know, I mean, it's a 15-house development. Nobody has a garage big enough to... Pull Heck no. That means you have to park inside. it somewhere else. That means you have to rent a space somewhere and park it exactly. there. Exactly. Exactly. And then... Uh, Oh, like I said, the houses are cookie cutter. I mean, they, they've got three different plans for you to choose from. And uh, I, like I was telling the screener there, the only way you can tell your house from 
you know, all the other neighbors is if uh, you get it, you happen to get inside, get lucky and pick the right house because yeah. they, you know, uh, all they are is mirrored houses. Every other one's uh, well, there's numbers house. on them, but that's about it, right? I mean, you can you can look at the number and make the determination based on that. But that's about it. Yeah, exactly. It's amazing. Now, yeah, why did you choose to move into a place like this, Jim? It, it, okay. I, I really didn't know of all the covenants until I'd already did the land deal. Uh, when I spoke with the oh the contractor who had sold me the the la- it was the last lot in the development and uh, he had told me that you know the plan that I had, I had the, the land that I had purchased he had had a home designed custom for that lot so I was going to be able to build that house it was different from all the other ones and when I got in there the uh, the home the you know the development the people there had voted against me. They they went around and were signing petitions. And uh, long story short, the guy that I bought the property from, he was uh, the head of the homeowner society there in that development. <laughs> so he made me the president. So I got to override the rules, and uh, it was already towards the end, so I didn't have to tear my roof off. I had went with a, a composite, asphalt composite roof, which was, I mean, $150 a square. It was very spinny roof, and they weren't happy because it wasn't cedar shake. <laughs> and to, to me, the cedar shake just looks old, and it's a fire yeah. hazard. So, so you, did, they, mean, did they make you tear the, tear the roof off or not make you tear the oh, roof no, off? They, they no, were, they were trying to get petitions to do it, and I had spoke with the, the contractor who I had bought the property from, and I told him, you know, this was never brought up when I was purchasing the land and mm-hmm. the plans from you. So, like I said, he had just uh, released all of his rights to the, the development and uh, made me the... The president. So anything that they had brought in front of me, I could veto it or tell them that I, I didn't want to go that way. So, so are you still the president? I, I ended up home? having to put the rip on. I, I sold the house. I lived there three months and sold the house because, for, like I said, from the get-go, the neighbors were signing petitions against me because my of my roof and, uh, you know, because I wanted to have a, a satellite a system because I didn't want the, the regular cable. And, I mean, so now really, did you move out? I mean, did you move out to an area with uh, a few less restrictions? Oh yeah, I, I just bought three acres further out, and uh, you know, a neighbor can't even see my front door now. now so uh, I don't have to dude, worry about what, it. What were you? What did you have to do with your uh, lawn maintenance equipment? I mean, that's what you do for a, a line of work. You said, what did you do with yeah, your well, equipment? I, I can't, I've got a shop, in, a, a shop in right. town. Okay. So I mean, I could. And uh, that was another thing. They also had somebody to maintain the lawns. Like you said, there's somebody that. They want you to, you know, put so much money a month and have some, you know, some 15, 16-year-old kids that, that they were paying to do the work <laughs> when I've got, you know, three or four crews that do the exact same thing. Sure, and you well, could do it for somebody, nothing. Yeah, the nepotism, the it's probably really somebody's kid. They me about doing my own work, and that's why I said, you know, I'm done. I'm out of I'm, here. Uh, gonna sell, sell the house, and, move out, yeah. move to somewhere where you actually have some property rights. Hey, Ray, thank you for sharing the story. We appreciate it, and have a great night. 800 259 9231. That's exactly what I was looking for. A a real life story from somebody of these neighborhood Nazis, these condo associations. I have no interest in ever living in any place like this. Now, actually, I just did a quick uh, Google search on this as far as uh, homeowner horror stories, that sort of thing, from bankrate.com. They point out that uh, as far as homeowners associations go, to some people, It's Shangri-La, heaven, paradise. To others, it's sheer hell, Hades, or purgatory. Depending on your perspective, your homeowners association is either the best of all worlds or the worst. 
And so here are some examples. And in my opinion, it's the worst. I, I can't imagine. And I still want to hear from somebody that lives in one of these neighborhoods, somebody who's essentially was the neighbor of Ray. One of those people, one of the types of people that was signing petitions against your neighbor because he's got too many uh, trees or bushes in his front yard. Well, don't you have television to watch or radio to listen to or an internet to surf on or a book to read? Do you really have to spend all your time caring about what your neighbors do? My gosh, you are just I, pathetic. I think, I think there's a middle road to be struck here, and I'm, you know, I've got to disagree with you on this one. I have lived next to um, some people who it was amazing to me. They had junk car. This is a regular city lot. It might be 80 feet wide. Um, it might be 80 feet long, deep. They had junk cars, four of them, sitting in their driveway. Um, their their house was falling apart. They they at, at times they didn't have electricity. Is this a deed restriction? Hold on just a second. Wait a, wait a second. They didn't at times they didn't they had blown up their plumbing somehow, um, and they didn't have plumbing for six months. Was you it imagine? a deed restricted neighborhood? No. no. Well, it's none of your business. It's absolutely some of my business. You don't think that having rusting hulks of cars and people risks camping take, out and camping... Yeah, that's the risks I take. That's right. And that's why I say there's a middle ground to be struck here, and they can put together homeowners okay. associations where, you know, everybody has to vote on a new rule. They put in oh, place great. rules. So majority rule, whoop-de-doo. Everybody has oh, to vote 100%? on it. 100%? Could happen. I mean, you I know, suppose. But I mean, is, you know how impossible it would be to get a um, homeowners association to add a new rule if you got everybody's vote. Yeah, but it you would could be. very well add a new which rule, is, which is why I don't believe that there would be a homeowners association like that out there. Because these power. That's why mongers, I'm saying that there should be a middle ground here, because you can really get stuck with some crappy neighbors who draw down your property value, and make your life miserable I understand what you're when saying. you don't have rules. I, I totally understand what you're saying. But I don't see any homeowners association having a 100% voting requirement. I mean, the, the types of people that are attracted to being on these boards are not going to want that, uh, that sort of control or that control over their decision-making process. They want to be able to make new rules as they see fit but the, so they can you enforce the, them on you. You saw the developer put together this homeowners association, and developers can put together better homeowners associations um, in the future. I yep. mean, as mistakes are made, and people learn from these things. This situation in Golden, Colorado, where these people can't smoke in their home because they changed the rules after they bought the condo, that kind of stuff, that needs to be stopped. Well, how about this one, where uh, Donner Pass, California, a very snowy area, a development has rules you can't drive over the snow or clear it from around your house to preserve the rural appearance and provide zones for snowmobiles. Now, a woman resident with a back injury wasn't able to walk the half a mile to her house, so she drove over the snow. The association fined her up to $500 a day. Wow. She faces more than $50,000 in fines now and has been fighting her HOA in court for three years. The case is unresolved. Sometimes, and if you can find an example, Mark, of this, uh, I guess, reasonable homeowners association, and maybe they are out there. It's just that it seems to me that it attracts an unreasonable group of people whose sole purpose in life it is is to make the people living in that neighborhood, uh, their lives, a living hell. Like this guy uh, from, uh, let's see, this. sometimes a poor homeowner feels the wrath of the HOA even when he tries to succumb to the obscure rules and regulations. The nightmare for one Florida resident started only after he admitted that he made a mistake and informed the homeowners association he was going to rectify it immediately. It seems this hapless soul painted his house a bright blue, after believing an HOA secretary who said prior approval by the association was merely a formality. When he learned of his misdeed, he quickly agreed that he would switch to a sanctioned shade. 
That's what made the subsequent assault by the Homeowners Association so bizarre. We'll tell you what happened coming up in hour number two. And take your calls about anything. People holding very patiently, we will get to you. This is your show. Free Talk Live, 1-800-259-9231. You take control. Hour two's coming up. Our archives, website, and podcast will continue to stay free. But if you think other people deserve to hear this show, consider becoming a Free Talk Live amplifier for just $3 a month at amp.freetalklive.com. Help free some minds. Visit amp.freetalklive.com. This is Free Talk Live, your show. You take control toll-free, 800-259-9231. The packet 8 toll-free line, that's 1-800-259-9231. It is Ian here with you. And Mark. And you can join us on our website at freetalklive.com. All of the features on the site, we give them away. That is freetalklive.com. We'll continue the story here in a moment that we started uh, last hour about the Homeowners Association hell stories, but we need to go to the phones first. Let's talk to Matt in New Hampshire. You're on Free Talk Live with Ian and Mark. Hello, Matt. Hey, fellas. How you doing? Good. What's on your mind? Well, I thought after an hour of uh, neighborhood Nazis, you'd want something happy to talk about, and I thought we could talk about the election of uh, Joel Winters to the State House. I was his campaign manager. Oh, yes. Hello there. Um, yeah, congratulations on that. You're talking about the very first Free State Project member to actually be elected to New Hampshire State House, um, the, the, one of the first early movers to actually make it in. And uh, it's, that's quite an unqualified success, and hopefully it'll be the first of many. I expect it will. But actually, since I'm listening to all the stuff about the neighborhood Nazis, my dad is president of a homeowners association, mm -hmm. and he's one of the good ones, Ian. There is one good one out there. People come to him all the time, and they try to say, you ought to do this to my neighbor, and my neighbor's doing this annoying thing, and he's the, the libertarian voice of reason who says, no, nah, you know, why don't you just go over there and talk to him? Yeah, that seems like a reasonable uh, seems like a reasonable approach. Now, what's it going to take for these uh, neighborhood Nazis to knock him out of his presidency? seat? I mean, how how tenuous is his grip there? Is it uh, something that he could just get? Just, they could just elect somebody new if they didn't like him, or what? I think they're all pretty happy with with, with his reign. It's actually a very small uh, development, eight or ten houses, and everybody gets along for the most part. And. Uh, what are the Not what like are the voting require what are the voting requirements as far as you know um, changes? Is it a hundred percent, two thirds? Who can make new rules and what are the percentages? Do you know? That I honestly can't tell you. But every time they've had a real problem, they did have one neighbor that had several large dogs that would bark loudly all night and keep everybody in the whole development awake and whatever else. And they were they were able to over time deal with those people very gently and in a manner that libertarians could be proud of, I think. But this is not the typical homeowners association. I wouldn't live anywhere near one of those places. So then you agree with me that most of these organizations are just bad news, just a, uh, an enforcement arm for a bunch of busybody uh, do-gooders that want to sho sh shove and enforce their way upon others? Typically, yes. It doesn't have to be that way because every homeowners association, I think, has its own constitution. Yes. Yeah. And if you wanted to like, for instance, in the free state, if we wanted to have our own development, like a regular suburban development, but have free staters buy the houses, which isn't a, a crazy idea, I don't think, mm -hmm. we could have essentially a libertarian constitution that would kind of ensure that we'd have a very minimum government for the association, make sure everybody pitches in their dues for the sewer and water or whatever it takes. 
you know. Uh, I'd be interested, no certainly, to, to take a look at a plan like that. Now, let's jump back to the uh, the New Hampshire election. Now, the Free State Project, a movement of 20,000 people all moving to the same state, in this case, New Hampshire, in order to achieve uh, liberty in our lifetimes, hopefully. And uh, Joel Winters, your uh, candidate, uh, won this past uh, this past election season. And how did you, you know, what what do you attribute your success to exactly? Why did he win, whereas the other ones didn't? Well, it was a combination of many factors, but number one was the fact that he was willing to work for it, knock on doors, talk to voters, work harder than any of the other candidates running. He had a much, you know, it might sound like I'm bragging here, but he had a much better organization than any of the candidates. We had over 25 volunteers Mm -hmm. who put in time working for the campaign. Now, was it a secret? Uh, was he trying to conceal the fact that he was a Free State Project mm-hmm. member? Because I've heard people say that they don't like to talk about that, and it just seems kind of strange to me that it, it would seem that eventually somebody's going to figure that out, and then you're going to look really bad when uh, somebody confronts you with it, and you have a, you've been less than honest about it. How was that approached? How did you handle that? Well, we definitely didn't knock on doors and say, Hi, I'm Joel Winters. I'm from the Free State Project, and I want to be your state rep. Mm-hmm. But that that would be a, a ludicrous way to proceed. Uh, we, you know, Joel told people what he intended to do in office. He he spoke, you know, the truth about how he felt on taxes and guns and and other important issues of the day. He he didn't give people his entire philosophy on government, and he didn't tell people that he was part of the the Free State Project. But then again, I don't think anybody ever asked. How interesting. You know, I think that's the way that libertarian candidates um, really need to uh, put, put forth their, their platform is issue by issue. Um, not really saying things about, you know, pro-freedom, libertarian, you know, things like that. You've got to be careful of those terms because people are scared of them. Well, what I find interesting is he won as a Democrat, and obviously Democrats certainly had uh, some advantages in this past election. But he went around presenting himself as a Democrat and talking out against taxes, and that actually flew here in New Hampshire. Well, it flew a lot better after the primary. We didn't talk about prime taxes until after we were on the ballot for the general election. Mm-hmm. We had to survive a primary first, and we we talked primarily about real ID. As you might know, Joel was the organizer of the Granite State ID Coalition, which led the fight against real ID, and he knew many of the, the legislators and some of the, the key players in town from that experience. And they right. already thought, you know, he, they accused him, oh, you're some kind of libertarian, aren't you? And I don't know if the word free stater came out, but he definitely had to answer the libertarian question a lot. And how, did, how would he and, handle that? Well, he says that he agrees with libertarians on a lot of issues and that he's really more of an independent, that he cares most about civil liberties. Mm-hmm. And after what the Republicans did in the Senate on Real ID, he decided to run for rep as, as a Democrat. Very good. Well, Matt... That's simply uh, how it is. You know, he didn't, didn't claim to be a, a socialist. He didn't say he wanted... You know, universal health care for all. Of course, you don't. If you're a Democrat in New Hampshire, you don't have to say these things anyway, because nobody much wants that here. Twenty percent, right. maybe. Most of yeah, right. Most of the people up here, whether they be Democrats or Republicans, are still sort of a, of a small government mindset in the first place, which is nice. It's a big difference here uh, compared to every other state in the union. And, and uh, even I, if they aren't that way, Ian, they have to say they are to get elected. <laughs> yeah. Every, we, you, you, people might. Free State Project members across the country might be looking at the Democratic successes in New Hampshire, taking both houses of the, of the legislature and be really concerned and upset, thinking that all these bad things are coming down the pike. And they may be. I don't know what's going to happen. But most of these Democrats, to win, 
had to say, oh, we don't, we're, we don't want a sales tax. We don't want an income tax. We're not going to take your guns away. And, you know, they had to distance themselves from the National Democratic platform to be able to get elected here. Well, I hope everything we'll goes... Hold them to their promises. Excellent. Well, I hope everything goes well and uh, continued success. Hopefully you'll be able to maybe publish some... Uh, some tricks and tips for uh, future campaign managers so we can get more free staters elected, more libertarian, liberty-minded, oriented candidates uh, in office and continue on the path towards uh, liberty in our really lifetimes. What would really help is if people would sign the first 1,000 pledge and move to New Hampshire so that next time every campaign can have as many volunteers as we have. Excellent. In fact, I was just about to mention that. Thank you for the call, Matt. We appreciate hearing from you. 1-800-259-9231 is the Packet A toll-free line. Now, he mentioned the first 1,000 pledge, and Free Talk Live is brought to you by the Free State Project's first 1,000 pledge, which uh, is essentially the Free State Project is a movement of 20,000 people to New Hampshire, as I mentioned, but we've only got 7,000 or so signatures at this point, over 7,000 signatures on the Free State Project's statement of intent. So it's going to take a little while to get up to 20,000, probably a few more years at least. That's why the first 1,000 pledge was created for people like us, Mark, who've jumped the gun. We've moved early. People like Matt and Joel, who've moved early. Joel's been here for over two years, which is how he could run for office for that particular office. And we want more people to get here sooner rather than later because the the process has already begun. Uh, we've already begun holding the line for liberty. And now that we've got Joel in and some other libertarian-oriented uh, candidates in office you know, we're going to start making some pro-freedom proposals and and try to move in a more uh, liberty liberty-oriented direction. And this can this can happen faster with people signing this first 1,000 pledge, essentially saying, "I am going to be one of the first thousand people to move as part of the Free State Project within the next two years or three years." Right. We have to get about um, 425 people to sign the first 1,000 pledge in the next six weeks. Yeah, time is running out. Right. It has to you know has to be done. And if you want liberty in your lifetime, this is the way to get it. And it'll be really sad if we if six weeks goes by and we can't find those 400-something people that we need to sign that pledge. I mean, we can't what, what, find 1,000 people in America that want to get liberty in their lifetimes, that want to go back to true freedom. What would be sad is um, the, that there's you know 425 people out there in America, come on, listening to this show, that want lower taxes, that want the government out of their life, that want to be able to keep um, you know guns in their homes for protection, that wouldn't sign it. It really would be. Hey, uh, coming up, Alexander, Jim, your calls if you're patient, and yours as well if you make them now. Ladies first at 800-259-9231. Also still to come, the uh, Homeowners Association Hell Story. Be complete. Show's Free Talk Live, Saturday edition. We're here in the studio with you, Ian. And Mark. And you can join us on our website at freetalklive.com. All of the features on the site, we give them away. And that includes the Shrine of Female listeners, the dozens and dozens of ladies that have sent us their validated photo to prove they listen to the show. You can see what I mean by going to shrine.freetalklive.com. That is shrine.freetalklive.com. Just one of the many free features of our website at freetalklive.com. The toll-free number, 800-259-9231, also known as the Packet 8 toll-free line. For all your voice over IP needs, that's packet8.net, 1-800-259-9231. You bring up whatever you want. We go to the phones to the fun. Alexander in Florida, you're on Free Talk Live with Ian and Mark. Hey, guys, how are you? Good, Alexander. What's on your mind? Well, over the last two days, I've been listening to your, uh, I think, November 16th uh, podcast. And as we're talking about uh, PS3 and and the Wii and how there are interesting uh, occurrences in the lines. And... uh, I'm pretty passionate about a handful of things, libertarianism, Austrian economics, but I'm also passionate about games. So I've been camped out for uh, 
uh, I think since uh, Friday afternoon-ish, uh, <laughs> waiting for the Wii uh, in front of a Best Buy. And so right now, wait, 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 wait. Right now, you're out in front of a. You're calling us from out in front of a Best Buy. Oh yeah. <laughs> so when does <laughs> um, when do the, when are they going to let you uh, get your Wii? Well, we have to sleep through the night, so and they're going to open an hour earlier. So uh, they're going to give us vouchers at eight, and at nine they're actually give us the systems. So, um, so wait, they're going to come out to the line and actually hand you a, a voucher if you're one of the first people in line, basically? Right. They're, they have – well, this store has 84 systems, and there's currently, last time I checked, 83 people in line. Wow. Now, what happens if, um, for instance, a couple of people say, hey, Alexander, I want you to hold our place in line. We're going to go home and go to sleep, but we'll be back here at 7 a.m. And then at that time there are – um, you know, 150 people there. How's that going to work? I mean, that won't work. Would they descend upon them and uh, rip their flesh from their bones? <laughs> well, no. We what we have is that we have roll calls every every hour on the hour, and if you're not there or someone you know isn't there to take your spot, then you're basically knocked off the list. And I see. Put to the back. Um, so you got to be dedicated. And I'm shocked that they aren't opening at midnight. I'm shocked that they aren't going to do the early sale on this. They're going to make you wait until the morning. Yeah, I mean, it's it's. I think it's kind of fun. You meet a lot of interesting people. Sure, people it is. Have, you know, what uh, kind of, of gear do you and... have? Gear? Huh? What, 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 you're, you're camping out in front of the store. What kind of gear have you? I mean, what are you eating? Um, oh, under well, what you do you get sleep? Fast food from across the street. Okay, what are you sleeping on? <laughs> uh, sleeping bag. So just a sleeping bag do on the pavement. Yeah, just a sleeping bag, and uh, I don't have a tent, but a few people have tents. Wow. And so yeah. what's the atmosphere like? I mean, amongst the people out there, is is everybody pretty excited? Is everyone getting along? Has there been any trouble? No, it's actually been very, very civilized. I mean, we have lists going on as to, who, like, who's first, who's second, who's third, et cetera. And uh, we just have been having conversations about, you know, who, what's better, PS3 or, you know, the Wii. And <laughs> Well, we now, just, you're in you a, know, now, wait a minute. You're in a line full of people waiting for the Nintendo Wii. I mean, these conversations are probably a little bit skewed, don't you think? Well, there are a little bit, but there are some people there who are also waiting for the PS3, and so there are some people there who, who also have a PS3. So they actually got a PS3, and now they're waiting again for the Nintendo? Correct. Oh, my goodness. That's like $1,000. They're spending $1,000 on video game systems over a two-day time span. Now, are, they, yeah, do, they, are they doing this as an investment to sell them in the future? Or? The, ones I ha the ones I've talked to, no. Uh uh, but there has been this interesting story, like at least around here, uh, not for the Wii, but for the PS3, which was like a you know a couple of days ago, a day ago. Uh, there's actually these homeless that were actually taking up spots to buy the uh, buy PS3s, and they're like, uh, you guys, you guys ever buy PS3s? They're like, yeah, and like it's obvious they didn't have the money for it, right? So it actually came time, and there was individuals actually paying them to take their spots in line. So like you know, homeless were you know going away with you know thousands of dollars in cash uh, because. You know, they decided to sit in in one specific area of the town instead of another. Thousands of dollars? I think you're exa exaggerating a little bit. Maybe a hundred dollars. No, no, no. Like uh, like two thousand dollars. Wait, wait. Somebody paid a homeless guy two thousand dollars to stand in line for them? Yeah. Why? To get to PS3, not the Wii. Why would you pay uh, that person two thousand? I mean, I, I guess you. I don't time, know. I didn't pay it. Is your time that valuable to where? I mean, you, I mean, I guess the idea was you put the homeless guy in line, then you swap places with him at the last moment, right? Was that the idea? Right. Uh, the homeless guy usually has a voucher, and he gives the voucher over for the $2,000. That's craziness, because then you've got to spend an extra 600 on top of that. I can't imagine the PlayStation 3s are going to be going for $3,000 on eBay. I mean, I can't imagine they'd be going for that much. 
Yeah, it's, but, it's pretty insane. People are paying pretty high prices. But that's because the PS3 is in, in shortage, and the Wii isn't in shortage, so... I don't expect too many people to get a profit out of selling Wii. It's going to be a good news. I mean, that's going to be a good news for uh, for Nintendo because their their costs are lower. They aren't, you know, it's not the cutting edge hardware that's in the PS3. They're looking to to sell these to people on a budget, to moms that are looking to buy something for their uh, for their sons or daughters uh, this particular Christmas season. And it seems to me like their strategy is working at least so far from uh, from what we've heard. Now, is the store making you buy anything else in addition to the Wii? Are you going to uh, do you have to buy a bundle pack? Or are you just going to be able to get the system? Well, I'm getting a bunch of stuff with it, but like you can just get the console itself, and that's it. That's good. Now, what uh, what are some of the hot? I mean, what is the hot? What's the hot must-have game for the Wii? I mean, right off the bat, the first game that's going to be released. What is it that everybody wants? A Zelda. Oh, they've got a new Zelda out now. With this yeah. Zelda, um, you you'll you use you'll be using the Wii controller as a sword. You'll be using the Wii controller. I mean, you'll be slashing in different ways and moving the Wii controller in different ways. And yeah, you can you can basically control the character by moving the controller. And like, there's also options like fishing, where you can elaborate, you know, wow. movements of the controllers to to do the action. Really cool. So that's what's um, revolutionary about the Wii is that this controller is different than any other controller that's ever been out there. It doesn't have a little. Well, it may have a joystick, but it also sort of feels motion, and it can be used as a golf club, a fishing rod, a sword. Those kind of right, things. Right, and they also have this thing called a virtual console where you can basically download games since the NES. And I think, I think personally, Nintendo has sort of outdone itself in this race. You know, everyone else has been concentrating graphics, and you can't get too much better than what they're doing now. Yeah, that's really I think- versatile. I mean, that's a very flexible option where you can log into a, what's essentially an online service, say, oh, I feel like playing some Duck Hunt today, or, uh, you know, original Castlevania, something from back in the 1980s. You download it in probably a split second, because those old games aren't very big. And, uh, I mean, what are, do you know what they're going to be charging for these games, though, for these classics? Well, I mean, it's going to be, like, for NES games, it's going to be cheap, like $2, and then, like, for N64 games, it's going to be, like, uh, $10. Really? Are you just saying? Are you just making that up? Or are, you, are are those no, actual prices you've heard? No, I, like I'm, I'm not making it up because like it's on a point system, and two thousand points costs you around twenty dollars. Hmm. So you need like a thousand points for like a sixty-four. So that's at, that's around like ten dollars. You know that's and, such like, an uh, that's such a reasonable um, rate. I mean, Mark, would you pay two bucks? to get a classic old NES game that you may not be able to find on eBay, you may not be able to find by going down to... I mean, if you go down to a local uh, store... In fact, I was in the local video game store here in Keene, and they've got an old copy of, like, Mario that uh, is, was just a Mario without the duck hunt on it, was just, just Mario, and they wanted 14 bucks for that just because it's a rare old game. Well, I This takes away the rarity. I don't know anything about NES. I never played any of those games. Um, the only thing I played you know, prior to the regular PlayStation mm-hmm. was uh, the, the Atari 2600. Okay. I can't really think that I would care that much about any of those old games. I mean, the new games are better in my opinion, but two bucks. You think newer maybe. is better? Yes, newer is better. Oh, that's silly. That's because I'm not a game dork. Thank you for the call. We appreciate oh. hearing from you, and good luck in that line tonight, and enjoy your uh, your hard-earned game system. Appreciate it. 800-259-9231. Look, you don't have to be a game dork to appreciate the fact that some classic games are a lot of fun. They don't have to have pretty graphics to be a good time. More's on the way. You take control of the airwaves. It is your show. It's Free Talk Live. With your help, we can spread the message of liberty around the world. Consider becoming a Free Talk Live amplifier for just $3 a month now at amp.freetalklive.com. If you can't afford it, keep enjoying us for free. If you can spare the three, visit amp.freetalklive.com. 
This is Free Talk Live, Saturday edition. We're in the studio live, Ian here with you. And Mark, you can take control of the airwaves toll-free and bring up whatever you want. 800-259-9231 is the Pack-A-Day toll-free line. 1-800-259-9231. You can join us on our website at freetalklive.com. The bulletin board system awaits you over 140,000 posts for you to surf around through. And there's over 1,200 people interacting. Lots of uh, topics, serious issues and fun stuff and everything in between. All for free at bbs.freetalklive.com. That is bbs.freetalklive.com. As we return to the phones and to the fun, let's go to Jim in Tennessee. You're on Free Talk Live with Ian and Mark. Hello, Jim. Well, you guys are busy tonight. Indeed. What's on your mind, sir? Uh, well, I was listening to last night's podcast, and you guys were talking about uh, the right time to start a family. Mm-hmm. And I didn't, I didn't quite get through the entire subject, so I hope you haven't already beaten me to the punch here, but uh, Ian was arguing that you probably shouldn't start starting a family until you're financially secure in your late 20s, early 30s, and Mark was saying you should do it whenever you want, and I agree with both of you, <laughs> but um, I think the caller you talked to brought up a point that you might have kind of missed. Um, the, I think the reason Ian's right is because the this country is so obsessed with standardized education that there's really no way you can be financially secure until you're in your late 20s, early 30s. Like, if the the education system wasn't so bent on making sure that you had to have your 12 years of education and couldn't get out of high school until you're 18 and couldn't get out of college until you're 21, mm-hmm. then it would be a lot easier for people to, say, start up apprenticeship, apprenticeships or uh, go into their family business and start generating wealth and, say, 15, 16, 17. That's essentially what Robert... By their early 20s. You're essentially paraphrasing what Robert from Georgia said last night, the idea that if we got the government out of education, kids would be much more mature at an earlier age, they'd be ready to enter the workforce at an earlier age, and therefore much more able to start families at a younger age in their perhaps early 20s. But that wasn't Ian's argument. Ian's argument was that you should wait to have children until you have enough money. That's what he had said. And... He, you know, later came I up with, agree with numbers that. like. Th- we, but my point is, most people, when you use a term like enough money, you haven't set a specific goal. Mm-hmm. I need to have twenty thousand dollars in the bank before I have a child is a nice specific goal. Right. An, enough money is something you can't achieve. I'm all for setting specific goals. I'm all for setting specific goals, Mark. And I, I was making it clear that you should have enough money. That means that you need to determine what's enough for you and set a goal for yourself. I'm not going to sit here and say. You should have this exact amount of money because I don't know what your life is like. I don't know what your spending habits are. You didn't are. use the term the, the term specific goal when you, we were first talking about it. We both came to the point Whatever, of specific you're splitting goals. Hairs. I'm just making it clear. Enough is n- – you'll never have enough. Jim? <laughs> yeah, well, that's true enough. <laughs> Did you have any other thoughts for us? Uh, yeah, about four hours I'm getting a Wii. Nintendo for life. Ah, so are you now? Wait a minute. Are you also waiting in a line? Because we just had Alexander on hold or on with us. He said he was standing in a line in Gainesville, Florida, at the moment. What about you? Oh no, I have a pre-order. Oh, so I see. I get to go work and then get in line at about eleven thirty. <laughs> so you get in the pre-order line to go pick up your pre-order where everybody else is. I put my pre-order in about probably three, four weeks ago. So Jim, what's the uh, what's the hot Nintendo Wii game that you're looking to pick up? Oh, Zelda. <laughs> Always Zelda. <laughs> right on, man. Okay. Are there any others coming out besides Zelda? That's the only thing I've heard uh, heard talked about. It's the only really good one. There you go. Good luck, man, and enjoy. Thanks for the call, Jim. We appreciate it. 800-259-9231. That's the toll-free line. Let's go to Robin in Canada. You're on Free Talk Live with Ian and Mark. Hello, Robin. Hi, guys. Hey, what's on your mind? 
Well, I just want to talk about uh, these silent protests. I think, is, is it Dave that does these? Yes, yes, Dave in New Hampshire, he essentially goes into a bureaucracy, some sort of bureaucrat office, and uh, will hold a sign that is in relation to that particular bureaucracy, so maybe the Department of Motor, Motor Vehicles or the IRS or something like that. Yeah. And he'll silently hold a sign, and uh, he will not actually speak to any of the bureaucrats in there. He will, however, offer them a uh, like a sheet of paper with some information on it or his... His, essentially his I, position. I understand that. And then the, and the sort of Lauren that sort of did the same thing. Well, here's my point. Um, I, I believe in the cause, but I, I think they're trying to make martyrs of themselves. I think they would be far better off protesting in front of the building with a sign where other people could see it, many other people. Mm-hmm. Because I, th- I think what they're doing is, is, is they're, they're getting sympathy from a relatively few number of people and potentially putting themselves in jail where where they'll do no good but if if they instead protested in front of the building with a sign uh, you know on the sidewalk mm-hmm. um it would be much better served for the cause the cause of liberty well you know everybody's got their uh, th- their approach and what they think is is going to work and uh, you know, I might actually agree that that may be more effective as far as spreading the message to everybody else. But I don't know if that was what, uh, if that's what Dave is intending to do. I think he's specifically intending to um, get the bureaucrats to maybe ask themselves some important questions, and that is, is it right uh, to work for an agency that takes money from people by force, for instance? Well, well, he could he could do the same thing by having the same sign outside when they come in to work he could but but the point is is that that him putting i i really think he's trying to make a martyr of himself because by going in and purposely uh putting himself in jeopardy against the law which is is a dumb law admittedly well he didn't know that there was a law against distributing handbills on uh on public property uh, although I guess he might have been aware of it because I guess Russell got arrested for it. But I see your point, and I think that what you might want to consider doing is perhaps coming here yourself, becoming a Free, uh, free State Project member, uh, moving to New Hampshire, and going out and doing exactly what you suggest. Because it's one thing to tell other people what you think they should do, and it's another thing to lead by example. Now, I, I would agree with you in the case of um, Lauren Canario that, that she probably wanted to um, you know, be there and be arrested, and, and that's what um, she wanted. She I, was arrested for sitting on a front porch reading a book. Right. That's what she was arrested right. for. But, you know, at that point, um, you know, the properties had been sold, and they were Talking coming about to New London, Connecticut. Right. She was the only person... Hold on. Um, she was the only person who cared anymore. Whereas right. with Dave, he follows their instructions and he leaves when he. I don't really think he's trying to get arrested. I think he's trying to do a different sort of protest. Well, I, I would just caution that I, th- I think there's a Joan of Arc syndrome, where where you want to martyr yourself, and then there's a way where where it's more uh, politically astute to get the message out. In, 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 and when I say politically astute, I mean you're doing a better job sending that message to the masses as opposed to putting yourself up and sacrificing yourself uh, for the cause of liberty. Because it, when, you, when you think about it, I mean, Lauren is, is doing very little now sitting in a jail That's for, true. Up to, 
oh, up no, to a year. Now, wait, that might be true, and it's tragic that she's sitting in jail. However, there's also some uh, some consequences here, uh, some results that you may not be able to necessarily see as dramatically. You know, you can see Lauren get arrested and us talking about it on the air, but you also don't know, uh, for instance, Robin, how many people have been affected by this. How many people have said to themselves, oh, my gosh, I've got to get to the Free State Project. I've got to get to New Hampshire as soon as I possibly can because this is happening now. People are being arrested. In fact, it's, it's certainly possible that the arrests of people like Lauren Canario, Russell Canning, and Dave have, have, have led uh, – actually, Dave hasn't been arrested. But the, the arrests of those first two people and the, the hassles that Dave has gone through has actually yeah. encouraged more people to come here as instead of maybe you know, just them standing out in front of the building, spreading the message to New Hampshire people – they're actually getting their message out internationally as a result of Free Talk Live and other people talking about it from outside of the state. And that's what I call the Joan of Arc syndrome, is that I think you've got to make a decision as to how you can be most effective in your protest. And uh, undoubtedly, sitting in a jail is confining. And, uh, you know, it becomes a, 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 a martyrdom type of personality that wants to do that as now, opposed to being more active. I understand what you're saying, and I, you know, you're making some valid points. I think it might be just a disagreement on the way things are done. Did you ever see the Gandhi movie where um, you know, Gandhi was in jail, I think, three or four different times? Now, there's a guy who clearly had an effect on freeing his country. Secondly, did you ever see the, uh, the portion of the Gandhi movie where he just had line upon line of Indian men walking up to this salt mine... Um, and just getting bashed in, ba their heads bashed in by these officials. Just they just smack them and um, knock them down, and then people would drag them off. I mean, that's kind of martyrish, but it was the final thing that drove the British out. I know, but if but if everybody did that, if everybody had the martyrdom syndrome, it, it would be self-defeating. We need people who are. I, I, Robin, I thank little... you for the call. We appreciate the suggestion. More coming back. This is Free Talk Live, and it's your show. You can take control, toll-free, 800-259-9231. The packet8.net, toll-free line, 1-800-259-9231, and anything goes. It's Ian here with you. And Mark. Join us on our website, freetalklive.com. All of the features and functions are completely free, though we do ask that you buy some stuff in order to help support the show on a voluntary basis. Head over to store.freetalklive.com to buy Free Talk Live branded merchandise like hats, T-shirts. We've even got a bowling shirt there. Uh, DVD classic archive collections all there at store.freetalklive.com. And don't forget to buy everything else that you could possibly ever need in life at Amazon.FreeTalkLive.com, whether it be the new grocery section, the classic, uh, the books that you're always, of course, Amazon became known for, uh, DVDs, electronics, furniture, sporting goods. I mean, you name it. If it's a department store category, if it's sold at a department store, they probably have it. Health and beauty stuff. I mean, it's all there at Amazon.FreeTalkLive.com. Now, when you enter through that link, still the same great deals. Still the same great free super saver shipping. Still the same Amazon. It's just that when you enter through Amazon.FreeTalkLive.com, a percentage of your purchases go to help Free Talk Live. Simple. So you get the stuff you want delivered to your door, and you help Free Talk Live all out at the same time. That's Amazon.FreeTalkLive.com. We just got off the phone with Robin in Canada, and unfortunately we ran short on time and sort of had to, to cut the call sh a little short there. But he got his point out um, pretty effectively, and I think more than once. He made it clear that he thought that the, some of the members of the Free State Project 
some of the people that have moved to New Hampshire early as part of the Free State Project, part of this movement of people from around the world and around the country, all coalescing into the same place in order to achieve liberty in our lifetime. He, he was critiquing uh, their methods, saying that uh, they're, they're martyrs because they got arrested for protesting in the way that they thought was appropriate. And I understand and appreciate the points that he's making. Indeed, if those individuals were looking to reach out to the general public, then their actions weren't very effective in that way. However, those people that he was talking about were interested in doing what they thought was the right thing to do. In Lauren's case, the first time she was arrested a year ago was when down in New London, Connecticut, when she was standing in a stairwell waiting to get into a city council meeting. Well, they told everybody to get out of the stairwell because they had artificially restricted the amount of people that, had, that could come into that meeting. Again, this was all about the eminent domain seizures that happened down in New London, mm-hmm. which, of course, um, famous court case at this point that destroyed property rights. And she was there to help defend the property rights of those people. Well, she just decided she didn't want to leave that stairwell. Now, did that mean that she was trying to reach out to people and, uh, and show them what was wrong with the system? Not directly. But as a result of us reporting on it and other people reporting on, on that story, more people than ever have, uh, have become aware, aware of Lauren Canario and what she's fighting for. Right. Many people have called the show and, and mentioned that uh, you know, they've considered Lauren a hero. Exactly. And I consider her a hero. And now she's been arrested again, again, standing up for the freedoms of uh, what freedoms remain of those people that live down in New London, Connecticut. I think that it's a lost cause. I disagree. that I don't agree that she should be going down there anymore, personally, but that doesn't mean I'm not going to talk about it. And so she got arrested for sitting on a front porch reading a book uh, on the front porch of one of those properties that the city had seized from the homeowners. They arrested her, threw her in jail for that. She's been in jail for over 50 days now. And could be there as long as a year till she gets a trial. There wasn't anybody there to see the arrest except for her husband, who happened to, happened to have a video camera, and he filmed it. But there wasn't anybody else around, so this wasn't a publicity stunt for her. You know, she, she, isn't, she wasn't intending on reaching out to the, to the people directly. We're doing that. We're the ones that are communicating that message. We're the ones that are t- telling her story so other people, not just people that are passing by that street corner on that particular day. Because that's what uh, Robin was advocating. He said to, that Dave, who likes to go in and hold signs in, in bureaucrats' offices, uh, would be more affected by holding signs outside. Well, that may be true as far as the amount of people in that vicinity that would see him, but Dave is, his effectiveness is amplified by the fact that Free Talk Live talks about the things that he does. So I think that uh, Robin's suggestions are fine and good for people that are looking for public attention by the people in a given area. I don't think that was what these people were looking for. I think that um, I think that a lot of people do those sorts of protests, and and um, you know Lauren and uh, Dave's cases are different uh, specifically from each other. And well, Dave does those protests. He comes out to the IRS protests here in Keene. We have an mm-hmm. IRS protest on the side of the road, just like uh, Robin was suggesting, with anywhere from five to ten people on any given week. Holding signs, holding, you know, anti-tax signs and that sort of thing, waving at cars driving by. We get plenty of honks from people, and, and they're very successful protests. So that's going on, too. I don't, think it's, I don't think you can just say, well, you should only do this. No, I think that you should do what you think is right. And put your money where your mouth is, Robin. Come to New Hampshire. And go and hold some signs. He may very well be intending to do that. We didn't have a chance to ask him. He may well be. And he does live in Canada, so that involves immigration, and who knows what that process is like. But nonetheless, the point remains. 
It's easy to sit back and armchair quarterback. It's easy to sit back and say, well, you did this wrong and you should do this instead. And uh, I think that this is wrong, but here's the right way to do things. Well, great. Thanks for the suggestions. Now come here and set the example. Heck, that's what we do every night. What? Just sit back and armchair quarterback. Everybody's lying. That's not <laughs> true. We get out and we do things as well. At least I do. All right, 800-259-9231, that's the number. Oh, I said we were going to finish the story about the Homeowners Association, which has been blitzed by calls so far this hour. So jumping back, just to recap, we're talking about homeowners associations, condo associations, or neighborhood Nazis, as I like to call them. These people that set uh, just the most restrictive, silly rules on people's property. Now, to be fair, the people that enter these... Uh, areas that they live in have consented to be ruled by these homeowners associations. So don't really feel too sorry for them, but nonetheless, their stories are certainly something to behold, especially this guy. Uh, In this case, this gentleman realized that he'd made a mistake. He painted his house a bright blue color, and he figured out after the fact that he'd violated the homeowner's agreement, and he made it clear that he was going to rectify the problem, he was going to repaint the house in appropriate color. Apparently, the reason why he even painted it blue in the first place was because some secretary of the homeowner's association said, oh, it's no big deal. It's This is just a formality. Uh, th- th- him getting an approval. Right. Oh, it's just a formality. So he went ahead and did it anyway. That's when he learned that what he did was wrong, and he, he made it, tried to make it clear that he was going to switch to the, the sanctioned color. But that's what made the subsequent assault by the Homeowners Association so bizarre. This all according to Bankrate.com. First, the Homeowners Association held a meeting to discuss the crime with the neighbors, but didn't invite the culprit. Hmm. They stuffed flyers in each neighbor's mailbox, carefully skipping this man in question's residence, in which they went on at length about their outrage over the unauthorized paint job. When he got a copy of the flyer from a sympathetic neighbor, the stunned homeowner wrote the Homeowners Association president, reiterating his willingness to repaint the house and politely objecting to what he felt was needlessly abusive treatment and a dismal lack of neighborliness. I mean, they're just trashing him in this flyer uh, that they that they sent out to the other houses, and he didn't even, of course, he wasn't supposed to be aware that this was even going on. And he said, "Look, I'm going to make this. I'm going to make this right." Well, he got no response from the Homeowners Association president, but did receive a threatening letter from the Homeowners Association lawyer. The last straw came at the end of the month when the Homeowners Association's monthly newsletter came out while the repaint work was already in progress. The top story on the front page of the newsletter was a copy of the lawyer's nasty threatening letter to the harried homeowner, along with a word, uh, a note warning that all such miscreants would face a similar fate. Well, they're making an example of him. Yeah, they're airing all of their dirty laundry about this guy in front of the entire uh, neighborhood association. Hmm. Just to punish him, just to just to harass him, just to be mean. And speaking of being mean, here's a few other ones for you. A Maryland man asked for a six-foot fence as protection from a neighbor who'd attacked him with a log. The board denied <laughs> the request, so the homeowner sued and lost. It cost him $23,000 in legal fees and interest. Chastened. Well, I think he should. He sued them, and uh, those twenty-three thousand dollars is money that he threw down. It's not like they came after him. Well, that story's not over. Chastened, he built a shorter fence, but in places it was several inches taller than the four feet allowed. Board members came out with a tape measure, fined him, <laughs> slapped a lien on his home, and seized his paycheck. "Quote: They took all my savings and treated me like a common criminal," the man says. 
A couple from uh, Lawrenceville, Georgia, found they had a $3,500 lien on their house when they tried to sell it. The Homeowners Association had been fining them every day that they left pink flamingos on their lawn, but didn't bother to tell them. You should know. The ignorance of the law is no excuse. You should have known that those pink flamingos were a violation. We don't have an obligation to tell you this. That's wrong. The association got the money, but the couple had filed suit to get it back. A woman from Panoma, California, who was involved in a divorce, fell behind with her monthly dues. The board said she owed $1,000. She said it was less than 800 They went to court when the board threatened foreclosure. Turns out the woman was right. The volunteer board's amateur accountants goofed, but the judge ruled she should have made back payments during the dispute anyway. And the therapist was handled, uh, handed a $20,000 legal bill. Wow. 800-259-9231. Whether you have a homeowners association hell story or whatever else is on your mind, you can take control of the airwaves. This is your show, and hour number three is on the way. Another possible Borat lawsuit is brewing. Free Talk Live. One of the bonuses you'll get as a Free Talk Live amplifier is access to our classic archives. For just $3 a month, you can become an amplifier, and you'll help us get on more radio stations and MP3 players. Get the details at amp.freetalklive.com. That's amp. FreeTalkLive.com. This is Free Talk Live, the live Saturday edition. As we kick off hour number three, it's Ian here with you. And Mark. You can take control of the airwaves. Toll-free number 800-259-9231. That is the Packet8.net toll-free lines. 1-800-259-9231. You can join us on our website where all of the features and functions are for free. That is at FreeTalkLive.com. As we go to the phones, to the fun, start things out with your calls because that's what the show's about. Let's talk to Dave in New Hampshire. You're on Free Talk Live with Ian and Mark. Hey, guys. Hey, Dave. Now, um, I, I realize you're probably calling for a reason, but were you listening for the past 15, 20 minutes? I've only been listening for the last two minutes. I'm mainly just an archive listener. Ah, well, it's, it's, it's curious that you just so happen to call in, because in the last hour, the, the last call we got was from somebody who was specifically talking about you. And cool. I'm going to recap what he said. And I want to get your thoughts on this, because we addressed his points as best we could, but it's it's perfect that you happen to be on the line now. Um, it was Robin from Canada, and his suggestion was that he believes that you, like Lauren Canario and Russell Canning, are trying to martyr yourself by going into various bureaucrat offices and holding the sign, which is what you do. You do these silent protests, as we've described. You go in, you hold the sign. When they ask you to leave, you leave. And he seems to believe that, that that you're trying to martyr yourself and that if you're trying to reach out to people, you should just stand out in front of the building. That way people who are passing by and that sort of thing can see you. Now, I said that that might not have been what you were trying to do, that you were trying to ask the bureaucrats themselves you know, specific questions about their jobs, to, that, to which he responded, well, you could also do that from outside when they come and, and, go, um, come and leave from work. And... Um, and I also told him, you know, well, I also said, you know, it's it's easy to uh, Friday morning quarterback this. It's easy to sit back and say, well, you should do this and you should do that. But it's another thing entirely to actually move to New Hampshire and do what you think is right. So I suggested that he should, if that's what he thinks is the right thing to do, come here himself, join the Free State Project, and go out and hold signs on street corners. Yeah, now, of course, I do that, too. That's uh, right. And, in fact, I did that long before I started doing the ones inside the office. And having done both, you know, they're, just, they're apples and oranges. There's a place for one and a place for the other. What do you have to say to his suggestion that uh, you're trying to martyr yourself? Well, uh, I'm not so much trying to, but if I do get martyred, then that's usually there's usually a, um, a, a side benefit for freedom itself, even if it might not be good for me. 
That's what I. That's another part that I explained is that uh, Lauren Canario may indeed not be able to do much for freedom from inside a jail cell, but we are certainly able to um, uh, to leverage her case in order to spread the message of freedom, in order to tell people on the radio around the world about what Lauren and what you and Russell have been doing, and therefore get a lot more people, a lot more excited about what's going on, as compared to just maybe a few people driving by a, a sign, a, you know, a sign holding protest. So I don't think he was looking at the at the full big picture, and I just wanted to let you know that you were being talked about, Dave. So what's on your mind tonight? Well, I was actually calling in to talk about the view tax rebellion that's going on mostly in northern New Hampshire right now. The what tax? It's called the view tax. Oh, I see. This is the uh, the tax on uh, where your property is located and what view you have. Yeah, now it's not you know written in stone or anything like that. There's nothing really official about it, but unofficially, the bureaucrats tend to charge you more taxes if you've got a pretty view from your house mm-hmm. because of the fact that you would you know allegedly charge more to sell your house but the problem is of course it's almost a completely unquantifiable and it's beyond your control as a homeowner and it wasn't really you know, i don't think they were doing it before okay uh, but, but they're doing it now so they're just I'm money so- hungry and they're coming up with extra ways to uh, to tax people heavier now people are pretty upset about this uh, in new hampshire what are they doing uh, you say it's a rebellion what's happening they're calling it a rebellion themselves, and um, you know, like what well, I said about this, it's not a, a fight that I would have picked um, exactly because I'm against really all taxation. But the um, uh, the folks up there are particularly upset about this one tax, and they're organizing and they're fighting, and and that's you know I always think it's important to support the you know the native New Hampshire folks sure. when they go in and do something rather than just kind of focusing on stuff we bring with us as people who've only been here a couple of years. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm just trying to do. I know this. You know, today we tonight we're broadcasting in New Hampshire, so it's important to uh, get the word out about what's going on. You know, these folks are. How are they planning exactly. on fighting it? Well, right now what they're doing is they're packing the meetings that the bureaucrats hold. Like there was a meeting in Lancaster, uh, New Hampshire, where the bureaucrats came up to solicit public feedback on taxes or something like that. So they packed the room with more people then would fit, and they had to cancel the meeting and reschedule it for later, when they'll plan to hopefully have even more people there. Huh. And they're putting up signs um, on roadways near near homes that they think has had real high changes in their taxes. Uh, and, of course, like I, I've, I've been in contact with a couple of their guys that are kind of leading this, and I'm, I'm, you know, I've let them know that if they decide to stop paying, I'll sure... What I yeah, because that's where I was obviously. That's what I was thinking about. You know, if you really want to have a rebellion, then the appropriate thing to do is to get some people together with the courage to get together and stop paying in mass. It's going to be it's going to be easy for the bureaucrats to just run over top of one person if he decides to stop paying. But if you got you know twenty people, twenty homeowners that say, you know, forget you, we're not going to pay this full amount, or we're going to pay none of it at all, or maybe we'll pay a percentage of it, or something like that, and to get together and, and have a real uh, financial rebellion on their hands. Right, yeah, that's, that, I mean, that's the, the classic definition of a tax rebellion. Um, and, of course, they're using the word rebellion, so, um, or revolt, I think, is the word that they're using. But they've gotten a lot of good coverage in the union leader. They've, they've printed some articles of their own in the union leader. Uh, and I think, you know, the... the, the Sentiment is really uh, ripe for them to do something, and I just, you know, I, I'm not a property uh, owner in northern New Hampshire, but I do 
you know, I do want to uh, do what I can to help. Absolutely. Well, keep us up to date on uh, on what continues to develop in this situation. And I don't know, maybe we can encourage them to uh, to take a strong stand. If the bureaucrats will not respond to them showing up at the meetings, um, maybe they will respond to non-payment. Thank you for the call, Dave. We appreciate it. Thanks, guys. 800-259-9231. Speaking of the Free State Project, Rich emails in, Hey, guys, on uh, October 28th, you mentioned that you can't understand why people don't see that Nevada isn't in complete chaos, being that gambling and prostitution are legal there. You're right. These things are legal in Nevada, and the state isn't in total chaos. Yet, people continue to feel that these um, that these acts should be illegal. Now, if the Free State Project is successful and we have a free state in New Hampshire, how will that make a difference for the rest of the country? Won't Americans still be blind to freedoms and continue to welcome their beloved tyrants into their towns? Well, um, let's make the point that uh, Nevada, and specifically uh, Las Vegas, is like the fastest-growing metro in the United States of America. People may not be able to see and make um, changes in their local community, but they can make the most important changes. They're voting with their feet. They're moving to a state where they see more freedoms and, um, you know, freedoms they want to have, whether it's prostitution or gambling. Um, and, you know, they realize that the taxes are lower as a result, um, that they, they have to pay fewer taxes because, well, the casinos are paying big, big time taxes and okay. the uh, brothels are paying big time taxes. So it cuts down on their local property taxes a bit. Um, theoretically, I doubt that it in fact does. So people are, yeah, people are seeing it and people are moving there. And that's the most important part. Well, now, are they moving there because they want to gamble and, and uh, have sex with whores, or are they moving there because there's a lot of uh, money and a lot of opportunity there? I don't think people are moving into Nevada because of the uh, because of those particular freedoms. I think that well, there's I probably say, a number of factors as to why they're moving um, in. I would say that's probably true. Is in that fact, they I, realize there's a lot of money to be made from people who want to gamble and have sex with whores. Well, I was reading uh, an article, actually, just uh, completely by chance, from a guy that's that's in Nevada, like an op-ed, talking about how a lot of the people that are moving in are coming from places like California. And they're coming in with this mentality of, let's protect everybody. As you know, Nevada just passed a smoking ban this year. So they're lessening their amount of freedom, sure Mark. And they're restricting, uh, they're, they're adding more restrictions as a result of these communists coming well, in from California. They see the benefits, the, um, the benefits and the good things that they have in Nevada. They may not understand why they're there. I think you're right about that. And he says, I know the Free State Project is more than just gambling and prostitution, but I'm not sure that the rest of America will wake up from New Hampshire's example. And then he goes on to say that him and his wife and his kids are going to be moving up to New Hampshire within the next two or three years, which I think is great. And I think that the, um, the point here is that it doesn't matter how the rest of America feels about what goes on in New Hampshire. I hope, I really do, and I know you hope this, Mark, because I know you want to retire down in Florida, but I, I hope that the rest of America does catch on. I hope that we are able to trumpet the fact that liberty has given us more wealth and uh, more free, you know, we've got more freedoms, life is better, and, and, we, can, and we can point this out crystal clear, clear as day to the rest of the country, but if they don't get it, well, then I hope they enjoy their tyranny. It won't matter to me because we'll have our freedom regardless of what the rest of them want. More on the way. It's Free Talk Live. This is Free Talk Live. It is the live Saturday edition, and you can bring up whatever you want. Toll free, 800-259-9231. The packet 8 toll free line, 1-800-259-9231. Ian here with you. And Mark. Join us on our website at freetalklive.com and experience the live streams we've got. There's a broadband version and a dial-up version, two sizes to fit virtually every Internet connection. 
for free at freetalklive.com. That's freetalklive.com. And register now for the New Hampshire Liberty Forum, February 23rd through the 25th. Meet libertarian superstars John Stossel, Michael Badnarik, and many more. The most influential libertarians in America will be in attendance, and Free Talk Live as well. freestateproject.org slash libertyforum is the website to get registered and learn more. That's freestateproject.org slash libertyforum. So then, uh, let's move to the United Kingdom. And talk about bars, and fingerprints, and how the two apparently are going to be fitting together pretty soon. What could bars and fingerprints have to do with each other? Well, uh, according to the Register, the government is funding the rollout of fingerprint security at the doors of pubs and clubs in major English cities. Now, of course, we all know that the government doesn't fund anything. It's taxpayers that do, just to be clear. Funding is being offered to councils that want to have their pubs keep a regional blacklist of known troublemakers. The fingerprint network installed in February by South Somerset District Council in Yeovil Drinking Holes is being used as the showcase. Quote, the home office have looked at our system and are looking at trials in other towns, including Coventry, uh, wherever, uh, said some bureaucrat from the council. Gwent and Nottingham police also have shown an interest, while Taunton, a a town neighboring uh, the area, is discussing the installation of fingerprint systems in ten pubs and clubs with the system supplier, Creative Code. Brad Burns could say that if fingerprint security in that town had displaced crime in uh, two neighboring towns, couldn't say if that had happened, but she noted that domestic violence had risen. Now, wait a a second. Um, Now, Creative Code is the company that makes this little fingerprint system that keeps out uh, people that go into bars and make trouble. That's right. Now, people go into bars and make trouble cost the bars money, essentially, right? Correct. Now, why is the government getting involved? Isn't, Isn't Creative Co. offering a service that would be of value to a bar? You would think. Keeping out um, undesirables that are going to start fights and uh, possibly run their patrons away and that kind of thing. How come the bars aren't paying for this? uh, Maybe the reason has to do with the suggestion that the government is funding the rollout. So maybe that way the government can come in and say, well, look, we're going to pay for this, and who knows what uh, strings are going to be attached. There's always strings. You shouldn't be doing it. Well, accordingly, the domestic violence statistics have risen in the town of Yeovil. She couldn't give more details until the publication of national crime statistics. She was, however, able to say that alcohol-related crime had been reduced by 48%. Now, the council had assumed that it was its duty under the Crime and Disorder Act to reduce drunken disorder by fingerprinting drinkers in the town center. Some licensees were not happy to have their punters fingerprinted, but all are now apparently behind the idea. Not only does the council let them open later if they join the scheme, ah, uh, the trick. But the system costs them only a dollar fifty or a pound fifty a day to run. Oh, and they're also coerced into taking the finger, uh, fingerprint system. New licenses stipulate that a landlord who doesn't install fingerprint security and fails to show a considerable reduction in alcohol-related violence will be put on report by the police and have their licenses revoked. Mm. So either you install the fingerprint system or you manage to show a considerable reduction in violence without the fingerprint system. I see. And you get your license revoked if you can't. Now, offenders can be banned from one pub or all of them for a specified time, usually a period of months. Because, you know, if you ban people from pubs, that's going to stop them from drinking. Of course. Oh, no. cause them to stop causing trouble. It'll just mean they'll start drinking on the streets more often. And causing trouble on the streets. Right. 
So offenders, uh, let's see, their offenses are recorded against their names in the fingerprint system. Bradburn noted the system had a psychological effect on offenders. She said there had only been two major instances of alcohol-related crime reported in local pubs since February. One of them was a sexual assault, and then they go on to describe uh, the other incidents as well. But how would you feel, I wonder, if, the, I mean, there a lot of Americans spend time in bars. You know, you, you do, Mark. You go to karaoke. karaoke. Uh, every other night or something like that. Mm-hmm. And uh, a number of Americans like to spend their leisure time in in a bar drinking with friends or drinking alone. <laughs> and how would you feel if you uh, went into your, your local bar and all of a sudden there's a, a guard standing at the door with a fingerprint scanner and he said that, uh, sorry to come in here, you're going to have to uh, scan your fingerprint here, sir. H- how would you feel about that? Especially if you said, no, no. That's okay. And you went to the next bar over, and they had it too. What if every bar in town required you to scan your fingerprint in order to come in and uh, and drink? How would you feel about that? I don't that? think I'd like that very much. But um, why? What do you got? What do you got to hide? Well, what do I have to hide? I just don't want my fingerprint taken. What, why? Why would you take it? Well, we're trying to protect people here, Mark. Well, what do you have to? What are you using fingerprints for to protect people? How do you well, do that? We need to know who the dangerous people are. Are you dangerous? How do you know who dangerous people are through their ving- fingerprints? Well, that way we can identify you if there's a problem. Um, so you can identify why if there's a problem, can't you subdue me and identify me that way? Yes, but if you are a problem person, uh, we need to know in advance. So well, perhaps oh, wait, wait, you've wait, wait, caused wait problems elsewhere. We wouldn't know until, what until if we I'm check a, the fingerprint. What if I'm a problem person and I've turned over a new leaf and I'm in a free country? I should well, be able to have a new lease on life and not be labeled as a quote-unquote problem person. I mean, are you a judge, jury, and executioner? Who the hell are you to tell me I'm a problem person? Look, do you want to protect the children or what? I want you to shut your damn mouth and let me in the bar without my finger <laughs> thumbprint is what I want. You big gorilla. Yeah. I mean, pretty, it's pretty outrageous. It is. It's outrageous. You're judge, jury, and executioner because I have caused problems in the past. Right. And I'll admit to you that the people that cause problems in the past are more likely to cause problems now. Sure. But what role is it of the government to be doing this? If troublemakers come into your bar, they cause problems, they cost you money. This should be a service that the bars um, you know, willingly partake in. Absolutely. Has, the, the government has no role in this. Fortunately, it's not in our country. It's over there in England. But it happens all the time that we see it across the pond, and then our bureaucrats start saying, oh, I like that whole fingerprint thing. Oh, yeah. Thing. Ba- bad ideas travel both ways between governments. If the United States government or state government comes up with a bad, draconian idea and implements it on the people, then other, go- other government agencies are watching. You know, they, they see, oh, yeah, look, ooh, look what they're doing over there. Let's try that here. And then they bring their draconian measures over here, and they en- enact them on us. And so, you know, I want to hear from somebody that thinks that it's a good idea to fingerprint all bar patrons. If you think it's a, a super idea to mandate that anybody that walks into a bar should have to, um, to give up their fingerprints, have their fingerprints scanned, have their information entered into some government database, because it would be one thing for the bar to be doing it on their own initiative and have their own private database, because then you could choose to go to a bar across town that doesn't do the, that sort of thing, that respects their patrons' privacy. You could make that choice. But in this case, the government is going to mandate it of all the bars. So you don't have the other option. The only other option is to stay home or drink on the streets. And I just want to hear from somebody that thinks this is a good idea, somebody that believes this is going to protect people. We need to do it to keep people safe. I mean, really, how long have bars been around? 
I mean, hundreds of years? A and f- a couple hundred at there least? There certainly have been people causing problems in bars as long as... Uh, right. there, there have been bars longer than hundreds of years. They, I mean, they've, come, they've figured out ways to handle this, I would think, in the last couple hundred years. I, I would think they've figured out ways to minimize the amount of damage and fights that they have. You know, you have a, ban- a bouncer on hand to deal with these situations. Now, what happens if you don't feel like having a bouncer? Many bars don't have bouncers. What happens if you don't want to have somebody man this little machine? You have a, a shotgun behind oh, the counter. Now the b- bars have to have somebody on staff at the door, and they have to pay that person, and the bar, and the, uh, the the patrons have to pay that. The extra I don't think weight. they should. More coming back. Would you like to help others find Free Talk Live? You can help us advertise, market, and promote the show at amp.freetalklive.com. Consider becoming a Free Talk Live amplifier now for three dollars a month and get some cool bonuses at amp.freetalklive.com. This is Free Talk Live, your show. You take control. It's all free. 800-259-9231. That's 1-800-259-9231. It's also known as the Packet 8 toll-free line, and it's Ian here with you. And Mark. You can join us on our website at freetalklive.com. All of the features are for free, including updates. You get signed up, we'll clue you in whenever there's something fresh to announce about the show. In fact, I just sent out an update today, Mark, announcing that Free Talk Live is doing another auction. It's actually been a little while since we've had an auction going on, but yeah. from time to time we will uh, we will decide to auction off uh, some free talk live related stuff. In this case, it's the second banner on the website. So this is essentially the best uh, banner position that Free Talk Live has. If you go to freetalklive.com, the first banner is ours. It promotes the AMP program. The second banner is for sale. And the other banners right now, they're kind of locked up. We can't sell those at the moment because people currently have bought them for a specified period of time. But Yeah, selling the third position twice really would make what's much sense. No, but number two is up for bid, and uh, if you go to auction.freetalklive.com, you can place your bid. Currently, bidding is at uh, all of 99 cents, Mark. So we know it's going to go up from there. Sure it will. But the question is, how high will it go? Now, last time, I think it went for uh, 80 bucks or $81, and... Yeah, that's not too bad of a price for the top banner, what's essentially the top banner advertising position on our website. So if right. you've got a business, a product, a service, a, a band, something you want to promote, it's a great way to do it. If we had a big sales department that uh, did all this stuff, I'm sure the banners would be going for 500 bucks a piece mm. because we'd have to support all that overhead. Right. But we, we really don't. don't. Um, we don't want to have it. And so, you know, these we just make it easy. We put it on eBay where the lowest prices are on everything. And you get the lowest price on banners, too, so check out this banner. Yeah, and and uh, as is appropriate for Free Talk Live, pretty much anything goes. Y- you're going to be rejected if you're like some white power website. Uh, we, we rejected one of those at one time, but for the most part, whatever your service is, your product, it's pretty much cool with us. So place your bid over at auction.freetalklive.com as we go to the phones. Uh, did we finish this bar thing? Pretty much this uh, bar identification. I think it's just completely unfair. Right. Bars should not... I don't know if we had a chance to finish... You didn't have a chance to finish your thoughts in the last segment. Bars should not be forced to have any sort of enforcement scheme, whether it be a fingerprint enforcement scheme or a bouncer at the door. Bar uh, bar owners and managers should be able to decide on their own what is and what is not appropriate for their patrons. right? Right. I mean, in some bars, they'll throw you out for talking too loud. Other bars, you know, you actually have to stab somebody with a broken beer bottle. <laughs> it just depends on the bar, and I don't see why they, you know, can't continue to do it their way. Let's go to the phones. Let's talk to Jim in Arkansas. You're on Free Talk Live with Ian and Mark. Hello, Jim. Yeah, they'll uh, take you for weapons at the door, and if you uh, don't have one, they'll give you one. <laughs> nice. <laughs> they do uh, uh, actually, open-heart surgery in the parking lot every Saturday night. Yeah, uh, virtually guaranteed for the rest of your life. So um, what you got, Jim? What's on your mind? 
I want to back you up on something. Uh, Wednesday night, a fella called in and uh, was uh, yakking on about how uh, we were fighting the international bankers or something in World War II. Mm-hmm. Um, talking about Hitler and his resources and his ability to invade the United States, um, there was actually a war going off off our shores, and many tons of U.S. shipping was actually sent to the bottom right off the coast of Georgia and even in the uh, Gulf of Mexico. Uh, Hitler was over here uh, expending tons of ammunition on many, many tons of ships, but he didn't have the resources to come ashore. And I thought I'd add an interesting wrinkle here. Uh, it was uh, private pilots with their private airplanes that chased them off. They, now, how uh, they do that? The Civil Air Patrol, when they got their start, uh, it was really the only way uh, pilots could fly because there was kind of a moratorium on private flight during World War II. Um, they went out and they patrolled the coastline, and some of these guys were actually strapping bombs onto their Fairchild airplanes and their Wacos and stuff, and uh, they were actually dropping bombs on German submarines when they had to surface for air. Wow. <laughs> so, wait, you're essentially saying there was a private air force in World War II? There's pretty much. Still is. Was, uh, pretty much the, the equivalent of strapping a couple of bombs underneath a Cessna 172 and taking huh. it offshore and uh, defending the coastline. Wow, that's... Now, how they chase basis. how they chase these boats off without having bombs strapped to the underside of their... I imagine that was, that was pretty rare. Well, a submarine... Um, is a very secretive device. And back in World War II, they didn't have nuclear submarines that could stay underwater for months right. at a time. Mm-hmm. They had to surface for air peri- periodically because they were on battery power the whole time they were underwater. Right. And if, as soon as they were spotted, all kinds of armament can be directed in toward the submarine. And the submarine captains, one of his, his biggest priorities was to, to uh, remain unspotted. Right. But when you've got all these little yellow and blue airplanes buzzing around the coastline uh, with eyeballs on all of them, uh, it's really hard not to get spotted. Huh. I see. Interesting story. And, some, and one of these, when some of these pilots decided to go ahead and, uh, you know, hang a, strap a couple of bombs to their airplane and actually start diving on these uh, submarines. Um, it, it, one of the submarine captains, I'm on the road right now, so I really can't look at my resources right, right now. Um, but he, he was asked why the... Uh, the uh, shipping suddenly started getting through, and the submarines stopped attacking so much. And he said it was those damned little yellow and red, uh, yellow and blue airplanes. You know, and so you're bringing that up as an as an example of the fact that if somebody, if uh, Adolf Hitler was to have managed to round up a few ships of troops or something like that to try to send them to the United States uh, to attack, that they'd absolutely have been decimated by people uh, in this country defending themselves. Oh, he would have stirred up a nest of hornets. Right. Now, I'm actually being told that the Civil Air Force isn't really private, that it's actually partially funded by the uh, the actual Air Force. Do you know anything about Nowadays, that? Nowadays, it is an auxiliary of the Air Force. It is uh, it's a volunteer organization, but, yeah, now it is a um, – it's a um, – it, yeah, it's basically a low-level subsidiary of the Air Force. But was it back then? For... Where were they getting their bombs no. from back in the day? Uh, back in the day – Things were a lot looser when it came to armaments back then. Uh, a lot of people back in the in World War II didn't even know about GCA 34, which was the uh, uh, one of the first big um, gun control laws. And uh, I'm not really sure exactly where some of these guys were getting their bombs, <laughs> but I'm pretty sure there were some uh, there were some uh, uh, cooperative elements in the military. Yeah, you know somebody who knows somebody who knows somebody. That sort of thing. Yeah, and, you know, some people can just get stuff. Right. Very good, Jim. Thank you for the story. We appreciate it. 800-259-9231, the Packet 8 toll-free line, 1-800-259-9231. So just more evidence, Mark, that the suggestion that 
Adolf Hitler was coming to the United States. As soon as he took over all of Europe, he's going to come here and force us all to speak German. Ludicrous. It doesn't make any sense. Um, Absurd. You know, maybe maybe um, what was going on in Europe was terrible. I, I would have to say that they created that problem themselves in World War One mm-hmm. with the Treaty of Versailles, uh, you know, by being so hard on the German people, yes. which they wouldn't have been able to do if the United States hadn't, gotten, hadn't involved gotten involved in yeah. that war either, which we shouldn't have been in. But you know, I mean, you might be able to make an argument. I think that there, you know, there are some valid valid arguments for the uh, our participation in the Pacific Theater of World War Two, but there aren't any for our participation in the European theater. Let's go to the amplifier lines and talk to Niall in Utah. You're on Free Talk Live with Ian and Mark. Hello, Niall. Well, happy Saturday. Hey, what's I, on your mind? I wanted to. Oh, I, I wanted to talk about uh, this week in school. We had dare graduation. I'm a sixth grade teacher. Okay. And uh, you know, I sort of have some evidence that you know, you know, for all their talk, people who really push the dare program really don't care about their kids. What do you mean? And it kind of, well, it kind of showed up in the in the ceremony itself. Um. We had, you know, we had the mayor there. We had the chief of police, the jazz there. We had, you know, all these people. Miss Utah was there. You know, the kids were really enjoying it. Ooh. And so, you know, I was sort of forced to sit in the back. You know, I was like, okay, yeah, you know, whatever. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of cops around. No big deal. You know, cops show up for the dare graduation. Sure. And, and you know, after after just a few minutes, I noticed that they were they weren't looking at the graduation. They were looking at the audience. And it suddenly clicked to me that we were being guarded. That is the sixth grade and their parents. And uh, they weren't, like, guarding us. They weren't guarding us from something. I mean, they weren't, like, looking out, like, at doorways or anything like that. They were looking at us. Um, Well, why? Aren't you just being a little paranoid here? I mean, they're cops. No, uh... no, no. No, and so, you know, I lean over to a teacher sitting next to me, you know, is not crazy like I am politically. I say, are we being guarded? And she's like, you know, I kind of noticed that. I didn't want to say anything, but yeah, we are being guarded. And I said, why in the world are we being guarded? And she said, well, apparently last night, the, the night right before the fair uh, graduation, the mayor of the city that you know that I teach in uh, really made everybody really angry on the on something he did. He basically is encouraging a track line to come through the town, and virtually everybody's opposed to it apparently. And he said, well, we're going to do it whether you like it or not. So they were expecting maybe violence against the mayor? Yeah, they were expecting some kind of violence. Hang on a second now. We're going to bring you back here in a moment. I want to understand this a little better. It's Free Talk Live. This is Free Talk Live, and you can take control of the airwaves even in these remaining moments on the live Saturday edition. It's Ian here with you. And Mark? 1-800-259-9231 is the toll-free packet 8 line. That's 1-800-259-9231. You can join us on our website at freetalklive.com. And if you like the show, then maybe you should become an amplifier, a Free Talk Live amplifier. Go to amp.freetalklive.com. Over 300 of our listeners have decided to do so. They've decided that they like Free Talk Live so much, and they appreciate the fact that we give away all of the features on our website. Those other radio talk show hosts, they want to charge you uh, for maybe half of the amount of the features that we give away for free. And so you appreciate all that. You like the show. You want to help spread Free Talk Live. Then become an amplifier. It's 3 bucks a month. And the idea is we take in that $3 a month 
from you and everybody else, and we turn it around into promotion for the show. We buy industry advertisements, getting the show on more radio stations around the country. We get Internet advertising uh, to get more Internet listeners on board, and it's working. And there's some other examples of what we're doing, and some also examples of the perks that you'll get, like access to classic archives from way, way back and more. Get all the details over at amp.freetalklive.com. Great way to help support the show, uh, amp.freetalklive.com. In fact, uh, speaking of AMP, the amplifier call-in lines are one of those bonuses, so we're going back to one of the amp lines in Nile in Utah. Now, Nile, you are a sixth-grade teacher at a government school in Utah, and you said that you were at the D.A.R.E. graduation, I guess, last night or this week sometime, and you noticed that there were an, an inordinate amount of police in attendance. You also took note that the police were sort of keeping an eye on the audience, and you talked to the, turned to the teacher that was sitting next to you, and you sort of pointed that out, uh, he or she said that they agreed with you, and the, I guess you're suggesting that apparently the, the mayor of the town made some sort of outrageous proclamation. What was it about, and, and what were you suggesting? Well, the idea is just this last November, uh, dutifully and rather stupidly, uh, most of the voters in Salt Lake County decided to you know, up their uh, sales tax to pay for more light rail. And, you know, of course, now they're all divvying up the money and the you know, one of the main lines was supposed to go through the town we're in. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, they, they routed it just right on the east side against the mountains, sort of, uh, I think, uh, apparently tearing up, like, some, uh, like, horse trails and running trails just for the thing. So they had a, you know, a meeting on it the night before, apparently. And, it, you know, it seemed like everyone was against it except the city council and the mayor. And the, the, the quote that was given to me was that the mayor closed the discussion with, well, it doesn't matter what you want. We're going to do it anyway. It doesn't mm. matter. That's what he said. Mm. Now, this is kind of secondhand. I don't know. I wasn't there. You know, I have no reason to doubt it. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, um, so, you know, he came to the D.A.R.E. graduation, and eh, inordinate, maybe there were two or three officers there that had nothing to do with their program in addition to the chief of police or whatnot. And, uh, you know, they, they sort of positioned themselves at, like, the corners of the audience. I think one was by the door, and one was... Uh, running a projector, and uh, I, it was just really strange that they weren't looking out, they weren't paying attention to the presentation, they were looking at the audience, you know, the whole entire time, and so that's when I brought it up, I said, you know, are we being guarded? You know, I think we are, and I think it's because the mayor said that last night and made a lot of people, man, I was, my mind's sort of reeling, you know, with, you know, dare to resist violence, you know, is one of the things, but the mayor who, for some reason, sort of expected violence to be visited upon upon him, still came to the D.A.R.E. graduation. And the weird thing, you know, I mean, I mean, you might say that, okay, that makes sense, public official, yada, 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 but he was guarding children. He was guarding their parents. I mean, if you ever, if you ever find yourself in that situation where you're afraid of children, 12-year-old children, I, this kind of blows my mind. Oh, wait, now, well, wait a minute. Mostly parents were uh, were there. Why Why are you suggesting he was afraid of the kids? I mean, this is a parents' event. Well, he had, he, had, he had officers looking at the kids, and he had officers looking at the parents. It wasn't like they were looking over the kids at the well, parents. Well, I mean, it, it, it's awfully speculative, Niall. I mean, you're, you're certainly speculating at why the police were there. Um, you, you don't really know what the reasons were. You're, you're sort of you know, guessing. You might have been right, but you don't really know. It's all speculation, right? There is. You can call it an anecdotal incident, you know, but something tells me it's not going to be an isolated case. 
Well, maybe so. I don't know. It's not. I don't really think it's anything too, too much to be concerned about. For all you know, they were looking for uh, you know a madman who was on the loose, and they expected him to be in the in the crowd there that night, or or they were expecting a domestic sure, violence. The, hmm? In the town that I'm in, yeah, sure. <laughs> I don't know. Give me a, a, they did give me a bare bumper sticker, which I probably put on my car upside down. You know, <laughs> it's it's certainly possible that the mayor was paranoid and he ordered the police to come out and and do something. Uh, and, and in that case, the cops were probably getting paid overtime, and you might want to get mad because they were being paid for, for absolutely no reason, and that uh, shouldn't the mayor provide his own security if he indeed is concerned for his life? I mean, that might be some ways you want you would want to uh, to spin that, but otherwise it's just uh, it's just speculation. And thank you for the call. We appreciate it as always. 800-259-9231. Yeah, I, no issue there. <laughs> Yeah, and I mean, what can you say to that? I think it's interesting that people get all up in arms when their little uh, running trails are going to be torn up, though. I mean, you can pretty much do anything to our city, take people's property at will, um, you know, put liens against people's houses, but don't mess with our darn running trail. Now, speaking of mayors and city council members that are out of control, let's go to Greenwood, Indiana, from uh, the Indy Star. Although it currently exists only in cyberspace, Mayor Charles Henderson launched a preemptive strike Friday afternoon against a business he says would sell sex toys in the heart of downtown Greenwood. Dear God. A hastily called news conference at the Greenwood City uh, City Building set the stage for a showdown Monday night when the city council will attempt to further tighten... Uh, an adult entertainment ordinance adopted in 1994. At the heart of the debate is the website, based in Greenwood, called Me Yummies, that sells sexual toys and novelties. Now, Mayor Henderson said he's concerned that the company could open a shop in a vacant store on Main Street in Old Town Greenwood, the, histor- uh, the city's historic shopping district, near several because churches and a middle school. So many people in Greenwood, uh, you know, enough people in Greenwood want to buy these uh, Me Yummies items that they're going to be able to support this, uh, you know, this storefront. Yeah, I'm not sure what he's basing his uh, paranoia on exactly, because I don't know if... Uh, me Yummies has suggested that they were going to do something like this. I think he's just all upset. I think that these s- items are usually a supplemental to a business's income. They're they're usually sold in conjunction with videos mm-hmm. and um, you know. Uh, well, he doesn't want any of that. He doesn't want any of that in his city. And listen to what he says. Well, I wonder if he wants what's recorded in the videos happening in his city. The sex? It's, yeah. I mean, can can adults have sex in his city? Well, I'm sure he wouldn't object to that as long as you're married. I'm sure that's, uh, he might add, this seems like the kind of guy that uh, wants to enforce his moral system on everybody. Listen to how he feels about freedom. Quote, we're not stepping on rights. Let them go somewhere else. Our society has deteriorated enough. If we step on their rights, I don't think I'll even apologize for that. This is the attitude of uh, your mayors of your town uh, elected officials. They could give a flip about your freedoms and your rights to do business and offer the products and services for sale that you want to offer. Because if indeed Me Yummies decides to open up a porn store in the center of Greenville, or Greenwood rather, and the people of the area don't want to buy their products, well then this guy is going to be out, whoever the owner is, He's going to be out probably several thousand dollars from the the lease and the the rent that he's had to pay and the overhead costs of opening up an, an actual store. Running a store on the internet, you don't have as much overhead. Personnel, right? Personnel, uh, power, all the bills you've got to pay. It's going to be a huge loss for him. But if indeed the market in Greenwood is demanding such uh, such products, then how dare you? How dare you uh, stand in their way? 
and try to dictate who can and who can't open up a business. Maybe he'll start a war on sex toys in Greenville. Henderson said an amendment to the city's adult entertainment business ordinance would be presented at Monday's city council meeting. The amendment adds shops selling sexual aids to the list of adult businesses banned within a thousand feet of a school, church, park, daycare facility, or residence. Because what's the point of that? I mean, is the, is the suggestion there that having an adult fun shop nearby a school is going to mean that the school kids are going to go there to shop afterwards? Um, for the most part, I don't think they allow people under the age of 18 into those stores. Maybe I could be wrong. I could be wrong about that. But when I was a kid... I don't think they allow... No, I'm sure they don't. When I was a kid, I didn't know if it was a law or just the rules of the store. But when I was a kid and I saw the X fun shops and everything, I, I thought to myself, hmm... That's somewhere I can't go. You know, there's no windows on that store. (laughs) Maybe I can go there when I turn 18. Of course, I did eventually go and just to see what it was like, and it was lame. Yeah, a little dirty, a little weird. Yeah, a little filthy. The amendment adds, uh, let's see, the current ordinance restricts adult bookstores, live entertainment venues, and arcades. Quote, the problem with this rumored business is that it's not going to be an adult entertainment business that we currently regulate, said the city attorney. Adult businesses must get a $500 adult business permit, and no permits have been issued for such a business on Main Street. One of the bureaucrats said, it's not just for this one location. We don't want them anywhere. That was the police chief saying that. So forget about freedom. Forget about liberty. Forget about the ability to sell the products you want to. When this city council's in control, when these bureaucrats have control over the ability to do business, you might as well just take it somewhere else. It's been Ian here with you. And Mark. We will be back Monday night. Join us in the meantime online at freetalklive.com. Be sure you enjoy the rest of your weekend. 1-800-Flowers.com wants to remind you Thanksgiving is November the 23rd. Try the Harvest Glow centerpiece from 1-800-Flowers, either as a gift or to decorate your table this Thanksgiving. The small is $49.99, and the large is just $59.99. Call, click, or come in for fresh flowers and gourmet gifts delivered same day, any day. Use code FTL to save 10% on your next order. That's FTL for a 10% savings. 1-800-Flowers.com, your florist of choice for the holidays. 